welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove, and I'm joined by the man who wrote Eric Cantona's Champions League draw speech. <laughs> His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. That was better than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was just going to be more so just at Manchester United's expense. Oh. Uh, I can't claim credit for anything Eric Cantona says. I'm also <laughs> not sure Eric Cantona can claim credit for anything Eric Cantona says. I will say he's not wrong. No. The gist of his speech was like science is advancing and mm-hmm. eventually like, you know, human health will last a long time. Yeah. But there are still wars and we'll end up killing each other. Yeah. Yeah. Eric Cantona. He's not wrong. He just says it too dramatically. Uh, you mean warrior poet Eric Cantona? Yeah, Because exactly. yes, that is who he yeah. is. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. as. I like, liked his shirt. That was a cool shirt. Yeah. He's fashionable. <laughs> he's an actor. He's Hollywood, but French. Uh, and also a soccer player. I mean, like the seagulls follow the trawler thing. Like it makes sense if you understand it from the perspective he was saying it. Yeah, yeah. But it's such a the weird The always chasing after some weird story. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And so it's because they expect something crazy to happen. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like you know what you're getting with Eric Cantona. <laughs> you can't be too surprised. If you're going to put him in a public forum with a mic in front of him, yep. you're going to get some stuff. UEFA booked him. Yeah. UEFA definitely booked him. All right. So today's show. How much would you pay? to sit in on Eric Cantona interviewing Zlatan Ibrahimovic? Ooh, I don't know. Uh, Zero dollars. I'd rather just listen to Cantona speak on his own. That's fair. That's fair. I appreciate (laughs) your consideration, though. I genuinely do. (laughs) Today's show, we have all kinds of listener questions about nicknames and the Mm -hmm. U.S. men's national team and Bolton Wanderers and Berry Football Club and all that. Um, But first... And all that. And all that. But first, the Champions League draw after Cantona's speech... Mm -hmm. The draw did happen. It did. Gonna, it was at like the second event, right? Yeah. We're going to quickly run through it, right? Let's so that we can it. get to talk Europa League. Yes, and we're going to try to do a better job pronounce, exactly, pronouncing the names than Ashley Cole did. I enjoyed Ashley Cole being embarrassed and giving it his best. It's better than the, the, the usual British thing of just confidently pronouncing it incorrectly. Like, yeah. Ashley Cole put a question mark on the end of all of his Europa League draws. I take your point, and I agree that like he definitely like, wasn't taking it too seriously. Exactly. But also, maybe a little bit of prep. Could have done a little <laughs> bit of prep. There could have been some flashcards there if he needed to. Or some reading glasses. He might be getting near sighted. I mean, he's played against those teams before. He has to know who they are. I think it really was maybe <laughs> glasses. Like, there's no way you see... Has he? I'm not sure Ashley Cole spent much time in the Europa League. He's a Champions League kind of guy. I mean, so some of those teams have been in there. But at the okay. least, you know who Espanol is, and you know they're not España. But I'm saying, why would he have ever played them? Like, because, I don't know, because he has watched La Liga. <laughs> I don't know. All right, I don't want to this argue. your English bias. I don't want to argue over Ashley uh-huh. Cole's Europa League knowledge. Yeah. Let's talk Champions League. We'll Let's quickly go through the groups. Sure. Right. Group A, Club Bruges, Galatasaray, Woo. PSG, Boo. Real Madrid. Meh. Okay, the first thing that sticks out to me here uh-huh. is this could be like two teams who are having a wobble. Yep. PSG, Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. They could be taking each other down um, in these games. And then you've got Ethan Horvath on the bench for Club Bruges. Yep. We're kind of, I don't want to wish ill luck on people, but I wouldn't mind maybe a Simon Mignolet broken finger <laughs> so that Ethan Horvath gets to play against PSG or Real Madrid. I mean, and maybe it's the case that Bruges do the thing where you have the domestic goalkeeper and then you have one for the Champions League. Maybe. That, maybe. Seems unlikely. <laughs> More like Belgian Cup. But I, I think, yes. So maybe we don't see Ethan Horvath in the Champions League uh, necessarily yeah. anytime soon. Maybe uh, we will. We'll see. But I, I think your point about PSG and Real Madrid is particularly interesting, though. That This may be a group that we look back on and think, like, oh, Oh, yeah, of course, these two were always going to win. But to me, it's equally likely that we look back on this as like, like one of them doesn't make it through. Yeah. Or one of them maybe just struggles a little bit. I still think both of them make it through. And Neymar will be playing for one of them. Um, <laughs> yes. Group B. Group B is... Wait, are you just going to push right past Galatasaray? Uh, you want to talk about them? Heidi Jimbom. That's all I have to say. Excuse me? <laughs> I spoke Turkish. We can oh, move I on. Oh, I see, I see, I see. <laughs> yeah. Group B is Bayern Munich, mm-hmm. Red Star Belgrade, Taylor's phone. That was your phone. 
Daryl's that was your phone. phone. The, I noticed it because it's the first time ever that it's Daryl's phone and not mine. I always turn my ringer off. This is me putting it in your face. <laughs> I always turn my ringer off. Except the, this time. The you look, always double down on tape. The look of shock from Daryl. It's like in the outtakes of TV shows when the actor gets really angry that the phone is going off and then they realize it's their own. That's <laughs> yeah. what just happened here. You didn't get really angry, but you were more so shocked when it was yours. I've just realized I'll turn it back on because I had a missed call from my wife. Ah, so I turned it on to make sure. Blame it on your wife. Oh, no, I'm blaming it on me. Mm-hmm. I'm blaming me. Anyway. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming yeah. we can't edit this out. <laughs> Group B, Bayern Munich, yeah. Red Star Belgrade, Olympiakos. Mm-hmm. I'm a jersey owner, thanks to away days. Um, and as Aussie idea is pronounce it, Tottenham Hotspur. At least didn't make it Hotspurs. That's yeah. fine. Uh, th- this also feels like a group where it should comfortably be Bayern Munich and Tottenham. No, I genuinely don't mean that to be disrespectful, uh, disrespectful to Red Star or Olympiacos. Disrespectful is a great word. That one too. Uh, but that that is sort of what you'd expect. Is that like both those teams go on the road, they get the job done. Maybe like there's a draw here and there, but for the most part, I would assume it will be Tottenham and Bayern. Then again, Tottenham still have questions of their own. Yep. Bayern are still trying to like bet in that squad. I think the be fine with it uh, and I think both those two teams do get out do you want to hear my I think Red Star will upset Tottenham if okay. only because I can't remember who it was but there was someone on British TV who when they looked at this, the draw they very um, with a lack of research mm-hmm. called Red Star like a bunch of part-timers and plumbers that's unfortunate. As if Red Star by Grade players aren't fully professional Serbian players. And have won the European Cup, I believe, or at least yeah. finished runners up to maybe Galatasaray. Like they played Marseille in a final. There we go. That, yeah. Chris was there. Yeah, so, so, yeah, so I would, I'm thinking maybe there's going to be a Red Star upset over Spurs. Okay. Also, Spurs don't need to be playing the likes of Bayern Munich, <laughs> given well, the start to the season they're in. I mean, no. No, they definitely don't. I guess there's no easy, easy group stage draw, right? Uh, well, Manchester City would like a word with you. Let's talk about them. Group C, Atalanta, Dinamo Zagreb, uh, Manchester City, Shakhtar Donetsk. Is Man City Shakhtar now like a traditional Champions League? It feels League that fixture? way, yeah. If not, then at least the knockout round, right? It's either group stage or yeah, knockout round. Is it the weirdest fix that UEFA have? They're like, oh, we've got to get that Man City Shakhtar fixture. It's what the people want. There are those weird combos, right? Like, yeah. was it, who is it that Barca got drawn with like every year? I forget. It was another big club that they kept getting matched up with every single time. There's a lot of Chelsea, Barca. That, maybe that's it. Mm-hmm. I forget. But it does. I feel like, yeah, you do get those pairings and then commiserations to Atalanta. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. David Amayel says yeah. they're a very interesting team. No, I'm excited I'm, for that one. I'm trying not to just be like, who are the two biggest teams they're definitely going through? Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I think that there are teams that could sneak through. And, and with that in mind, actually, here, like, it's City, obviously, is the the number one yep. most likely. But then it is sort of three teams that I would say are on equal standing yeah. uh, to various degrees. Because you, of degrees. course, are a Shakhtar, Dinamo Zagreb, and Atalanta expert. Well, I think more so of Shakhtar <laughs> as being a team that can be very high-performing and exciting, but, like, don't always necessarily, like, back that up with consistent performances they made out of the group last time. But, like, I think of them as, like, a 5-3 to three team that happens on occasion. 5-3 to three team? Like a 5-3 to three score oh, line okay. sort of, sort of situation. Time of, time of day. Uh, no, and, like, Atalanta, like, I guess what I mean to say is all of these teams are, like, question mark teams for me. Like, so you're right. I wouldn't say I have, like, a confident amount of knowledge about any of them. So I kind of, maybe ignorantly or not, I don't know, but I put them all in a similar category. Category, maybe Atalanta a little bit lower just because they are new to the Champions League, at least recently. So to me, that's what I will be excited to see is how those three sort of play off of each other and who ends up making it out of those three. But Pep's team, first place in Group D. Uh, yeah. Group D, Atletico Madrid, mm-hmm. Bayer Leverkusen, Juventus, and unfortunately for them, yeah. <laughs> Lokomotiv Moscow. <laughs> Yeah, I feel bad for them. (laughs) 
this is in some ways the group of youth and age, right? So Atletico yeah. Madrid have Jao Felix, mm-hmm. who I'm super pumped to see. Yeah. I'm excited to see this new, like, more expansive Atletico Madrid mm-hmm. that I've been promised. I'm not sure if it's happening or not. By Leverkusen, you've got Kai Havertz, mm-hmm. um, always always doing stuff, and then Juventus, you've got old man Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> I mean, there's some youngsters in there for Juve as well. Uh, Matthias De Ligt would like a word with you. Yeah, yeah. But enough. yes, I take your point that it is sort of the established veteran team, then the established veteran team that makes it out of the group, and then Bayer Leverkusen and Lokomotiv are also there. <laughs> All right, Group E, uh-huh. um, we have our first uh, definite American involvement. Okay. Because it's Genk. Mm-hmm. It's Liverpool like, champions. Genk? Who's playing for Genk? It's yeah. Napoli. Yeah. And it's Red Bull Salzburg, yes, coached sir. by Jesse Marsh. Jesse Marsh in the Champions League. Jesse Marsh is going to be managing against Carlo Ancelotti and Jurgen Klopp yep. in the group stage. And I am here for it. It's going to be frenetic when yep. Salzburg play Liverpool. Mm-hmm. I'll be, actually, I'll be genuinely interested to see. I didn't really think about that. Yeah. Do Salzburg calm it down a bit because they know they can't go toe-to-toe with Klopp's Liverpool? Or do we just get the full, the full high-pressing... Drank three cans of Red Bull each, Red Bull Salzburg. I would hope. Go out and face the, the terror of Liverpool. I would hope they, they go after it even more so. Because, like, if, you're, if you are RB Salzburg, you're hoping for the upset, but you're aware that you're the underdog there. Yeah. And to change your, like, your game plan completely seems like more of a fool's errand than let's yeah. just go at it and let's see what happens, and then maybe we'll change it up uh, the second time around. So they're going to do like that Red Bull guy who tried to dive from space to Earth. Yes. <laughs> but, like, but, again, this one is going to be fascinating because you've got – oh, I was with it. Um, you've got Liverpool-Salzburg, that kind of contrast and similarity of styles and what ends up happening there. But then Napoli, that attack is so much fun to watch. Uh, Ryan and I talked about them in the weekend review on Monday uh, from their game against Fiorentina. Uh, I think 4-3 to three was that one. So, again, another team that's very much capable of scoring goals mm-hmm. has what should be an incredibly solid back line uh, given some of the acquisitions this summer but still capable of uh, giving up one here and there. I, that's the game, strangely enough, I really want to watch is Napoli-Salzburg. Napoli-Salzburg. I'm aware of how hipster that sounds, but there are reasons. Yeah, that, it's will, also, that will not be on main television. Probably not. You'll need to be our live subscription for I need one. you to understand how much I love Carlo Ancelotti, and I, it's a I, lot. I get it. I get it. It's very eyebrows. Those eyebrows don't just happen, Daryl. <laughs> that takes skill. Attack eyebrows. Yeah. Uh, Group F. Mm-hmm. Group F is Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Borussia Dortmund. Inter and Slavia Prague. Is this the one where the uh, the Slavia Prague gentleman was laughing? I think it was this one. Where yes. It was just like, and you understood it. It was like, yeah. Sorry, pal. <laughs> but were like, I mean, Slavia Prague don't go into the Champions League thinking we're going to win this thing. No. Right? So it's, I would say it's a good draw in terms of you get to play some really big, high-profile, historic opponents. Yeah. yeah? And that's about it. And you get torched by Jadon Sancho. <laughs> exactly. This is also, I believe, a good example of why Daryl doesn't believe in groups of death. Because, again, no disrespect to Slavia Prague, but you've got those first three teams. And then you've got Slavia Prague, who feel like definitely the weaker of those four. Yeah. So it's tough to say that's definitely a group of death because one of those teams is significantly weaker. If we're being generous to mm-hmm. the group of death people, I know yeah. people love to identify a group of death. And if you just think of it as one big team is going out, then maybe that is the group of death. But also Inter have been involved heavily in the Champions League for so long that you don't think of them as like, oh, they're always in the round of 16. No, it's, it's been a while since the Mourinho yeah. days, right? It's, it has been, exactly. And I think- The Eto days. Yeah, yeah. Still on the right wing days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I think like if you look at them now with like all the acquisitions they brought in and Antonio Conte being there and then Alexis Sanchez is there. Quite, 
think of that. Uh, but yeah, I think like it is an Inter team that you could easily think of as like, oh yeah, they make the group stage, but they haven't been that good recently. That's an Inter team that David Amayal on this show expected to be in the top three competing for the title potentially. So I think that's going to be a strong Inter team. Whereas Dortmund, I think they lost uh, Axel Witzel today to an abductor strain. Uh, oh. They're not sure how long he'll be out. I think it's not like long-term like ACL or anything yeah, like yeah. that. So Mahmoud Dahoud is going to get some uh, some minutes in midfield. T- Thomas Delaney, I think, is the other mm, one who might pick up more. Exactly. That was the tweet I saw. I was like, you came for this. You're getting Delaney. <laughs> uh, and then Barcelona, I don't know if you know them, but they're they're a fairly strong team. Mesqui and club. <laughs> Mesqui and club. I also look forward to seeing Javier Zanetti back in action. <laughs> Group G. Group G is Benfica, yeah. Lyon, RB Leipzig, mm-hmm. and Zenit. So, assuming Tyler Adams' uh, groin ever heals... We'll get to see Tyler Adams in the Champions League against Lyon and Benfica. We will. And, and I, Tyler Adams in the Champions League for the very first time. Also that, yeah. yes. And then, and then I put this group... All due respect to the CONCACAF Champions League. But yeah, come on. I doubt he's considering those two <laughs> equal. Uh, and then I put this group similar, like maybe a little bit higher in uh, in terms of standing than like Group C, the Atalanta, Dinamo Zagreb, Shakhtar Donetsk group in that like Benfica... I, I would like to watch because they always have exciting young players coming mm-hmm. through, and they always have established like veterans. Leon the same, I want to scout Zenit the, the same. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, <laughs> I think you're not the only one. I'm going to uh, say to these players, some of you guys could be playing the Europa League next year. They certainly could be, <laughs> or maybe the Champions League. You don't know how it's going to go for Wolves. So, I, but I just think of those three teams as all like having exciting elements that I don't know that much about. So again, those are those are games that I want to watch from the standpoint of I want to know more about the kind of like second tier level of the Champions League, which I would say okay. is say Lyon and Benfica, but then also with Tyler Adams and Leipzig, Leipzig who have started the season uh, in strong form. Yeah want to know how much he's going to play and ha- if they maybe make it out of the group, which would put them very much ahead of the uh, RB Leipzig timeline. And now, the one we've all been waiting for. Mm-hmm. Group H, three Americans who all could conceivably I start. was really confused by what I was like, have we? You mean because we're yep. about to be done talking about the Champions League? Group now I H, see. Ajax, Chelsea, mm-hmm. Lille, and Valencia. Mm-hmm. So, Get it together, Valencia. Hire an American. Right? Yeah. Right. So Ajax obviously have Sajino Dest, uh-huh. who recently started for them. Um, in the the qualify game mm-hmm. that they won to get through to the group stage, Chelsea obviously have Christian Pulisic. So already we have like Pulisic on the mm-hmm. left wing for Chelsea, Sergino Dest at right back for Ajax. That matchup could happen. Ooh. Yeah, right. Okay. And then Tim Weah for Lille, who is in and out of the team, but has uh, been injured. To be fair, and has been injured. Yeah, but mm-hmm. we would expect to at least he will see some minutes in the Champions League this season. Certainly. And then Valencia. And then Valencia. <laughs> Just sign an American. I mean, and make come it on. Quadruple. It's not that hard. I think we should say that to most of the teams in La Liga. So what, it's August 30th. They've got a couple of days left. Who could, they, who could they pick up? Go sign Sean Davis from the New York Red Bulls. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. That's, that's the one. That was a Aaron random Long. shout. Put Aaron Long in your defense. Okay. He, he was linked with a couple of different clubs, right? I think mostly in England. But yeah. maybe, yeah, get Aaron Long in there. Why not? Let's do it. All right. <laughs> Paxton Pomacal? That's the one that does feel like he is primed for a next move. Yeah. And he did uh, at All-Star, at MLS All-Star, definitely did the – the Paxton Pomacall, I am young and learning how to do this, equivalent of I'm really focused on FC Dallas right now, this season. Who knows what happens down the road? Like, he was really trying to say, yeah, like, yeah. no, I'm staying with Dallas. But yeah, it'd be cool. You, you don't know. leave that door open at the end yeah. of the sentence, right? Yeah. So maybe uh, <laughs> FC Dallas fans won't love that. But, you know, maybe Valencia come in last minute, get Paxton Pomacall, and then we get four Americans in one group. So there you go. That was a very abbreviated Champions League I'm not even going to call it a preview. It's no. a review of the group stage draw. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, there's no Fair. sense previewing, like, 
a group when we've got all the games still to come. Yes, but lots of games for us to enjoy. I would say so. Are you ready for today's listener questions? We're not going to do Europa League as well? I mean... I'm kidding, no. I could happily talk Europa League. No. The one thing worth noting, for people who don't know, God, no. is one, Manchester United are in the Europa League. Hooray. Which means they're about as good as Wolves, who are also in the Europa League. Wolves won their uh, two-legged final qualifier against Torino um, and are in the Europa League group stage. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal for me. Wolves in be. Europe... Yeah. It's been a long time. It's not in my lifetime when I saw this happen. I mean, not in fact, it's never it's never really happened in a big way before. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's it's not saying it's like the same level in terms of the club status, but it's it reminds me of like 2011, 2012 when Stoke qualified for Europa League because they were playing Besiktas, and I remember the Stoke fans coming to Istanbul. Speaking of Besiktas, that's who Wolves got drawn against. Exactly. So I see Wolves against Tyler Boyd. And so that's why it, all my dreams. That's why it registers to me though, because I was thinking of like Stoke getting to host European games and how that yeah. probably was not a thing they ever would have expected like ten years before. Wolves probably the same, maybe not ten years, but when you all were in League One, I would assume you probably weren't expecting to be playing in Europa League in no. relatively short order. We're looking at trips to Gillingham. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much the same. Pretty much the same. It's not the same as that Braga stadium. Istanbul, Gillingham, Braga, yeah. all the same. Oh. Okay, anyway, Europa League. <laughs> I'll be watching on Thursdays. I've marked big teams in the past being in the Europa League. Genuinely pumped that Wolverhampton Wanderers are in there. You should be. Yeah. And I will watch Wolves as well. <laughs> <laughs> are you ready for today's listener questions? Uh-huh. We've got some great ones. If Which you want to send us questions, it's totalsoccershow.com slash questions. Um, if you subscribe at $10 a month or more, we guarantee with maybe an asterisk on it, to answer one listener question per month. We'll try our very, very best to answer one of your questions per month at $10 a month or more. We try. All right, you ready for today's questions? I am indeed. First one on the list is from Matt Cuss. Matt Cuss wants to know, what are your favorite soccer player nicknames and what are some of the worst? I'm going to guess you've got a gigantic list over there. Uh, I've got a decent list. Okay. I don't have as many like bad ones, though. That's the only thing. I've got two that I don't like. Okay, yeah. all right. Uh, do you want me to start or do you want to go? I'll go since you've just thrown it to All me. Right. My absolute favorite mm-hmm. is Fitz Hall. You okay. know Fitz Hall, former Crystal Palace defender? Uh-uh. His nickname, Fitz Hall, was One Size. Okay. As in Fitzall. One yeah. Size Fitz Hall. Yeah. I just absolutely love that. That is my favorite nickname of all time. Not where I thought we were going to start off with the nicknames. Right. At the very top? <laughs> I mean, because I have like... But no, I'm just, I want mm-hmm. you to picture people in practice saying, One Size, One Size. I mean, that is pretty you know what good. I'm that is okay. That's 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 decent. Yeah. That also feels like a good like Mad Max post-apocalyptic name, where like you can see how they got there, but it also doesn't sound like any sort of nickname you would have heard otherwise. Yeah, I dig that one. Okay, I'm in on <laughs> I'm in on uh, one size. Okay, um, I don't think that like I have many that stand stood out to me as like this is obviously the best one. I have lots of little ones. So for example, like one of the earliest ones uh, like that made me like a player for some reason was Gabriel Batistuta. Yeah. I loved Gabigol. I love that that was his or Batigol Batigol. Excuse yeah, me, yeah. Gabigol is Gabriel Barbosa. Yeah. Batigol is – it's just like a great thing to hear uh, especially Spanish-language commentators scream when he scored. Yeah, the yeah, 98 yeah. World Cup comes to mind with that one. So just kind of the introduction to like the long-haired uh, – like like I think he was wearing, playing for Fiorentina, so he had the purple with the long hair and Batigol. It was just very – Scoring a bunch of goals for Fiorentina. Yeah, it yeah. was just – I love that nickname very much. Um, that, that one – and then I put like Zizou in that same category of like I yeah. enjoy Zizou for Zinedine Zidane. I don't know if that's necessarily a nickname, but it's just like it's the abbreviation that makes him a bit more approachable unless formal. Have you heard the weird story behind that? Is Mm-mm. it like he would have been called ZZ, uh, but that would have been like some sort of homophobic slur? Uh, all right. So th- that's why it became Zizou. Okay. Yeah, I don't know the full story. I just remember hearing that somewhere. All right. Yeah. Probably, so, probably shouldn't have put that on the show without researching it. I mean, you know, whatever. <laughs> it, it happens sometimes. Hey, this is future Daryl cutting in to say 
I was wrong, and I should not say things on the show without properly researching them. I shouldn't say half-remembered things on the show. So I got an email from Simon Sparkington, um, who says, just to let you know, ZZ in French, or they would spell it Z-I-Z-I, is an infantile slang for penis. Infantile in the sense that you would use that phrase when talking to infants. So the example Simon gives is, in English, it would be as if Paxton Pomacal went by his initials. Um, and I'm not just going on Simon's email. I mean, thank you, Simon, for the email. But I also went and fact-checked this on the internet to make sure uh, that this is this is a fully agreed-upon bit of infantile slang in France, and it absolutely is. So my apologies for misremembering, but at least we have the uh, the truth on the show now. Thanks to Simon. Uh, I have I have several more. You are correct. I enjoy the baby-faced assassin. I mean, Ole, Ole yeah, but you can't go wrong yeah. with that one because he does still look like a baby, yeah, even yeah. though he's gray and back he looks the like eyes. a forty-something-year-old baby. He looks like a really tired baby. <laughs> he looks like a tired baby who's maybe been asked to manage Manchester United and is slowly realizing the uh, the size of the task yeah. ahead of him. He, uh, he's boss baby, but work too hard. <laughs> yes, but it, like that name fits so well because he is so baby-faced, but then at the same time was just a complete super sub, like was happy just to come on for the final 10 minutes mm-hmm. and score four goals. That was his style. <laughs> i got another one for you. Mm-hmm. This is way, way from the past. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Johnston, who used to play for Celtic, back when Celtic won the European Cup mm-hmm. in like 67. He's one of the most famous Celtic players of all time. He was a winger who was famously like, you know, would go left and right mm-hmm. and this way and that way. They used to call him Jinky. Jinky Johnson? And, and so it was Jinky Johnston, yeah, which is such a perfect name because I love alliteration. It kind of sounds like his original name, and it actually describes what he does, right? right. It's not just like adding a Y to the end of his name, like Giggsy. It's Jinky Johnston, because he was Jinky. Why do your people insist on having so many slang terms that just sound racist to me? You think Jinky sounds <laughs> a racist? A little bit. It does. It sounds – it's up there with – Racist t- against wingers? I don't know. There's just – there are words in there. I always mean to actually write them down. I had like a list of words in my head that like sound racist but aren't, but I like okay. don't feel comfortable saying. Koozie being one of them. I, I, no one ever needs to offer me one of those things. Hey, tell them, maybe just, it's just the way you say it. It's what's in your heart. <laughs> exactly. I don't. I can, I can happily say Jinky Johnson and not feel bad about it. And I do, it is true, do not like insulated beverages. That is, <laughs> that is a, a policy of mine. Um, and if you're going into the Wayback Machine, I've got a few more uh, older ones. I enjoy Dirk Kaiser of, for Franz Beckenbauer. Okay. Uh, because that's pretty much just like what he was in my mind. And just like, yeah, he's the. He's like the defensive general, the leader of this like German onslaught team that can't be beaten. Yeah, yeah Der Kaiser fits appropriately. So too does. It's also interesting they called him that sort of after they no longer had a Kaiser. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Weird. Yeah, I guess that's what you do, right? Like, Wilhelm ruined everything, but mm-hmm. you're the new Kaiser. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I think if you have another Kaiser, he's like, uh, guys, like still here. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's hurtful. And then uh, another o- older one would be Garincha, which I had to look up uh, to find out what it was, and it is. Do you know? No. A barrel-chested bird with short, stubby legs. Oh, that's what Garin- oh, Garincha is a nickname, yes. right? It's not his real name. I no. forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, he has the, like, the, the four-name Brazilian name, but then yeah. he went by Garincha because he had the kind of barrel chest with the little legs, the bow legs to them. Uh, so I do enjoy it. Like, it's, a, it's whatever the nickname reflects the kind of physical look of the player. Yeah, I, yeah. I dig that one as well. Are you ready for some we don't like? Sure. Okay. I mean, I still have more good ones. Do you, but do you yeah, want to share a couple? Uh, I'll, go, I'll go real fast through some of them. I think the special one is a pretty iconic uh, nickname in terms of like nicknames that have lasted for some time and yeah, will yeah. continue to. Self-nicknamed as well. He said, I am a special one. And mm-hmm. they all started calling him yep. the special one. And yeah. I don't know if Baby Horse for Alex Morgan came from Alex Morgan or from her teammates, but I enjoy Alex Morgan, the Baby Horse. Because she was young and fast, basically. And kind of runs like a horse. Yes. She's yeah. got like okay. the gallop to her. <laughs> uh, I think the long legs, probably. And then my favorite one of all time. Augustine Azuka Okocha, 
JJ Okocha. Oh, JJ, yeah. which comes Are from... Are you calling JJ a nickname? I think so, because his name is Augustine Azuka, and he goes by JJ. I okay. think that's probably a nickname, and it comes from his eldest brother, James. Then the middle brother, Emmanuel, was Emma JJ. And then, uh, I guess, Augustine was like Augie JJ, which became JJ, which became JJ Okocha. Okay. It's weird. It's like, I guess they passed down the nickname yeah. from one kid to the next. Okay. All right, you ready for names you don't like? Sure. Leo Messi's nickname, mm-hmm. remember, is La Pulga the Flea. Yeah. It just feels wrong for one of the wrong. greatest players of all time. Yes. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, like, I get the it. Flea is like, you're, you're little and you're annoying, but that's so, there's so see, much more to Leo Messi than just being little and annoying. But see, I guess that, that's the, the flip side to Garincha. Like, Garincha, I feel like it's appropriate for, like, the way Garincha appeared, but it's not necessarily, like, diminishing anything else. Whereas, like, Leo Messi, it's like, he's small. Great. Like, oh, you got that, did you? Yeah, like, yeah. come on, you could do a little bit better than just like, oh, he's a small insect. Like, uh, what? No, come I on. I think it was like maybe an early on nickname. Yeah. And it's before we realized that like, mm-hmm. this could be the greatest player of all time, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we would have rethought it. So is it wrong that I don't like uh, Cesar Aspilicueta being Dave? I nearly had that on the list. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, it start, I guess I read about it and it comes from like somebody was calling the bus driver for yeah. Chelsea Dave and he answered and so they all started calling him Dave. But there is that air of like, uh, Aspilicueta's too hard. You're Dave now. That's the problem is it, yes. it folds into that English thing of refusing to pronounce foreigners' names yes. correctly and so mm-hmm. going with an English name like Dave. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that, that's one I did not love, and for those reasons, uh-huh. I don't love the ones that like uh, like one Roman Raquelme I saw as like the lazy angel or something like that. And I it's think just read like, the same article. Okay, I but, saw that one too. But there's so many that just feel like is that his nickname or is that just a thing that like yeah. somebody wrote about him once? I think there's a bit of that. I dismissed anything I read in that story that didn't ring true to me. Yeah. Or I hadn't like heard myself. I just yeah. thought, nah, don't trust you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with I'm with you on that. Here's one that um, it's a nickname, but was more of an insult. Mm-hmm. Cashley Cole. Yep. Remember that? I, I do because I almost fans. mentioned it earlier. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah nicknames. Yeah. So, yeah, we are talking about him earlier. But, like, so the, the story is he turned down an offer from Arsenal, took a better offer from Chelsea, mm. and everybody started calling him Cashley. But really, it's not just – I mean, one, all footballers have done this ever since, right, is mm-hmm. just take the better offer when there's more money available elsewhere. But also, I think it was about signing for a better team. I think Ashley Cole saw – what was going on with Arsenal post-Invincibles yeah. and what was going on with Chelsea on the rise with all the Abramovich money and everyone they were signing and just thought, this makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, and it not certainly not like the same transfer window or anything like that, but it is strange how he gets that stick and yet like Colo and Yaya Torre both go to Manchester City, that's fine. RVP, obviously there's a little bit of controversy there, but he goes to Manchester United, but Cashley gets hit with the Chelsea one. Mm-hmm. That seems harsh. I guess just because it's uh, one London club to another. Yeah. That's always going to happen. So yeah, those are two that I don't like. Any any others that you don't like? No, I mean, uh, no. I, I, there's none that I like. I don't like. There were some on there that I was like, eh, I could take it or leave it. I have definitely been inclined to call original Ronaldo Fat Ronaldo on occasion, <laughs> and I probably shouldn't do that. I think Il Phenomeno is the yeah. one that uh, I, I will sort of equate with it's him. It's better to remember him that way. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. Rather than as a hungry, hungry man. I would agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than a hungry, hungry man. Indeed. Are you ready for today's first sponsor? I suppose I am. All right. If you want to escape some men, <laughs> today's sponsor is... Wow. Manscaped, the number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. I, I always refer to Daryl as Daryl the Manscaped Grove because yeah. he's always so put Unscaped. together and so trimmed. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's well-scaped. I don't know what I'm talking <laughs> about. I'm looking at you and you have facial hair and I have blue hair on your arms, so that hasn't been groomed either. 
But I'm assuming it's a like a, a silky smooth chest. Everything under my clothes is okay. perfectly perfectly groomed. <laughs> perfect. Um, well, if it's the you external stuff that I let go if, wild. Perfect. If you are not uh, perfectly groomed, uh, then Manscaped uh, can have you covered uh, because, for example, they've redesigned the electric trimmer. Their yeah. lawnmower 2.0 uh, has proprietary skin safe technology, so it will not nick or snag. So uh, using it on your uh, your bathing suit area, I like just coming up with different horrible ways of explaining that one. Uh, you basically don't have to worry about all the things you would normally have to worry about yeah. when it comes to grooming downstairs. Yeah, so you, mm-hmm. the parts that you hide with a towel, yep. you, can, <laughs> you can keep uh, nice and groomed. Yes, uh, the part, and, like, and because we're not like Ken dolls. I should say. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not, it's like there's other stuff going on down there. It's just not all smooth that you like take care of and it's done. Uh, that's, I'm there's gonna, a lot of ins and outs. Lot of, uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I was crosses. trying, I was about to say like the Kendall area. And then I was like, wait, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> that doesn't make sense at all, but I can take it in a different direction. Raise, that would raise some questions. <laughs> it certainly would. <laughs> uh, yeah. So they've got lots of different products, including like deodorant uh, mm-hmm. for that Cop area preservers. because it is the case that we cover up the armpit smell. We don't always cover up the smell down there and you probably yep. should. <laughs> um, in the copy, Manscaped also noted. Mm-hmm. You might already own a trimmer, yeah, but you use it on your face, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe for your beard. Yep. Don't use it in two. You places. don't want to mix those two. Don't things. Don't use it up there and down there. You need a separate uh, precision-engineered trimmer that's designed specifically not to snag down there. Because honestly, I've snagged my face; mm-hmm. it hurts. Yep. Snagging the other place, yep. um, snagging the bad place. Yeah. It's <laughs> very, very bad. The bad place is that what you call it? <laughs> if it gets snagged, yes, <laughs> that's fair. Uh, and uh, and to your point though, that like the the Manscaped uh, lawnmower 2.0, it's a smaller like a smaller trimmer that you would not mistake for your like yeah. uh, your actual beard trimmer. <laughs> so we get mixed up. And I definitely like in the past have had similar looking trimmers, and it's like, well, I gotta buy a new one now because I don't remember which was which. So you won't have that issue here. So if you want to buy, you mm-hmm. get twenty percent off plus free shipping mm-hmm. with the code TS. S, which of course stands for Trim Safely Stupid, um, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off uh, with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code TSS, which once again was Trim Safely Stupid. Yep. Thank you to Manscaped for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you to Daryl for coming up with uh, that lovely little, uh, I guess, mnemonic device slash. Yeah. Like, anti-acronym? I don't know what we do there. Would you believe I went into that not knowing the answer? I would. I just trusted myself to figure something out? I absolutely would believe that. (laughs) I mean, I consider it a success that it wasn't just dead air. I think that's fair. I think you should. (laughs) Uh, Next question comes from uh, Ben Sundstrom, who asks, Who are the first three names you drop from the latest 26-man roster to fit the standard 23? And who's lucky enough to just miss the hypothetical X? Okay, Mm -hmm. so Corey Baird. Um, yep. I think fourth choice winger, mm-hmm. as Matt Doyle said, I think he has to go. Uh, there are four goalkeepers. Mm-hmm. I, Even though he's probably the second best goalkeeper on the list, I would drop Brad Guzan because it's a friendly, and I'd like to see Gonzalez or Johnson get minutes. And I think just because there are so many other midfielders, I think it's Christian Roldan. Mm-hmm. And that's more me wanting to make sure Paxton Pomacow gets as many minutes as possible. Now, are you saying this is what you would do, what you think Greg Berhalter would do, or both? This is Daryl. Okay, yeah. all right, cool. This is Daryl Berhalter. Uh, that's good because <laughs> mine is very much me uh, because I would drop Will Trapp as uh, crazy as that might sound because he's the only one who's kind of played that number six spot with consistent minutes under Berhalter. That's interesting because then it forces Berhalter to show his hand and see who else can – either to show exactly. his hand in terms of who else he thinks can play yeah. there or we just get to see a different player there like Morales or – McKenney, yeah, and, Jackson Yule, and I don't know if Columbus fans will be upset by this. I'm assuming Will Trap would be, but I, maybe Columbus fans would agree that like 
I don't have anything against Will Trapp, and I think he's a fine Major League Soccer player and maybe maybe a squad player for the national team. But like, I kind of feel like we know we're never going to feel truly comfortable going into, at least not right now, into a, like a World Cup qualifier starting Will Trapp. And I think knowing that makes it harder for me to get excited well, about depends, him starting a friendly. Depends who we're playing against. But this yeah. is true. <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? That like, it, it sort of is that like, uh, okay, like I know Will Trapp can do that, but like seeing him start against Mexico, I'm like, yeah, like I know what he's going to do, and I I'd rather see somebody else try and see what they do. We know the ceiling and we know the floor. Exactly. Yeah. That's more succinct. Yeah. So I had Will Trapp, I had Christian Roldan, and then sim- uh, because I like him, but I think he decimated in that midfield I am but but it's because in my like generic system that I'm not Greg Berhalter who actually has a system and coaching experience yeah. like I think he knows how to use Christian Roldan effectively or at least he like wants Christian Roldan in there to be a squad player yeah. for me he doesn't fit my generic unnamed system so <laughs> <laughs> that has no shape tight table <laughs> yes and then I want to drop Dan Lovitz uh, again no disrespect but it's going to be D- Tim Ream but there were no other left backs that's why I want it, because <laughs> it's going to be Tim Ream starting at left back, we would assume, at least against Mexico. But then it's, it's the same thing as Will Trapp for me a little bit. It's like, okay, so now the reserve left back is going to come in and do the role that we know he can do, and we've yeah. seen him do before. Why not put Sergino Dest in there? Why I not see. see what Aaron Long can do as a left back who maybe attacks? Like, yeah. I, again, I think there should be some level of experimentation there, so and that's going, what I'm okay with. You're going like Logan Roy style here, where you're just like sowing chaos to see what happens, right? I mean— Like you're removing the only number six to make someone else do it. I mean, some might call it the, yeah. con- the conflict theory of management, but yeah, sure. You might as well just promote Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that is who should be running that company. <laughs> Let's be real. That would be an interesting show. It'd be terrific. By the way, people, if you haven't seen Succession— it's really good. It is really good. It's probably good. the best show on television right now. Cousin Greg is up there in terms of characters. <laughs> <Cousin Greg. laughs> yeah. I'm tempted to start calling Bell to Cousin Greg. That's, that's, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, in terms of players who just missed the cut, uh, Jassi Zardes, or just made the cut, I should say. Yeah. Jassi Zardes is on there, but I think I would also be okay with, like, you and I talked about Jordan Morris uh, playing more centrally and seeing if maybe he could do that job. I want to see a little bit of experimentation in there, but I think given that the only other we'll option— see anyway, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think the only other option is Josh Sargent. It sort of feels to me like you have to have a reserve striker in there just yeah, in yeah. case. Also, I do see the logic in—so uh, Charlie Bone was on mm-hmm. the show the other day, right? And he was talking about how managers have their favorite. There is value to Jesse Zardes knowing the Greg Berhalter system so that when he's like running drills and can show the spacing of where the striker is supposed to go, mm-hmm. just Sargent can see a guy who's worked with Berhalter do what's supposed to be done mm-hmm. and then can replicate it. Exactly. Right? Yes, yes. I, so I, there is that element to it. He can pass on some institutional Berhalterian knowledge. Right. And, and I think that's why it's just different. Can't finish. <laughs> Yeah, he can <laughs> sort of finish on occasion. But like that's why it's different for me than say like Will Trapp or Daniel Lovitz where it's sort of like you could make that same argument of like well why not keep somebody in there who has the Berhalter experience and then they can help other people. But I other think, midfielders and defenders have that knowledge, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I also think that like with Josh Sargent, he is a new enough entity that like him starting is not the same for me as Tim Ream starting where it's mm-hmm. like you know what Tim Ream's going to do, he's already done it. Josh Sargent probably does need a little bit of somebody behind him to say like Absolutely. hey, here's what you need. Yeah. And I think Will Trapp like with that in mind, Will Trap would be different for me if I didn't think he was going to be the starter for the first game, yeah, which yeah. I do. And so it's, it's like, eh. like you're cutting him because he's so important. Yeah, yeah. He's, theory. he's so important, but also <laughs> I like I question his ability to perform at the top level, which Logan Roy also does. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> and now suddenly it. it's a succession so, podcast. So Will Trap is Ken, right? Uh, Ken, right? Yes, he is in this situation. <laughs> Okay. Spoilers for succession? Yeah, it's kind right. of. For last yeah. season. Um, you ready for the next question? 
I am. Stop thinking about succession. Focus on the next question. What was the uh, – Too late. What was the (laughs) ill-fated – it was going to be Confederacy. That's what it's going to be called. The D&D Game of Thrones guys. Mm -hmm. I thought for a second – I don't know if it's still happening or not. I don't know if it is, but for a second I thought that was going to be called Secession. And I was like, HBO can't do that. They can't have Secession and Succession. (laughs) And they really shouldn't have Secession to begin with. So Uh, we can move on. We're against Secession. Yes. All right. We certainly are. Next question comes from Brian McIntyre. Are you ready for this? Oh, boy. Deep breath. Could you explain what the process was that led to Bolton Wanderers and Berry FC, which led them to the brink of expulsion from the EFL, the English Football League, and almost forced dissolution? Would a salary cap have helped? Before we answer this, um, many people ask a similar question, mm-hmm. so I also want to just shout out Tyler Thornburg, Travis Mitchell, Adam Ulrich, Hunt Smith, Cody Santangelo, uh, sorry, excuse me, Cody Santangelo, mm-hmm. Will Herson, and Brandon Packin all asked roughly the same question. So I want to make sure... Everybody gets their question answered. It's kind of the same story for both. I mean, different specifics, but yeah. the general story is a person who probably shouldn't have bought a football club <laughs> or a group who shouldn't have bought a football club because yep. they probably didn't have the money to run mm-hmm. said football club, were allowed to purchase it, could not run it properly. Yeah. And in the end, both of them entered administration. One of them was able to find a buyer. One of them was not. So, yeah, so for those who don't know, Bolton were able to find mm-hmm. a buyer. Football Ventures, I believe they were called. Berry were not, and as a result, were expelled from the Football League. Berry yes. are gone. Berry mm. are out of the Football League. Bolton are still part of the Football League because they were able to find a buyer and keep paying their debts, essentially. And, and the Berry one I want to focus on for a moment because that's one – like maybe there are some people who don't know this story or aren't as familiar with it or saw the headline. Yeah. But like Berry, despite being not like the biggest club, they're north of Manchester, so I think they're definitely in kind of the shadow of the two Manchester clubs. Like they've been around for 125 years. Yeah, I believe yeah. they won the FA Cup like in like the early 1900s. But they've been around for, for a sure. very, very long time and have like never ceased operations, but now they have. And so you watch some of the videos, you hear some of the interviews with the people involved and the fan groups – and it's – I mean they're essentially taking the thing to do in that town out of that town and yep. it will no longer exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's all because basically poor ownership and poor oversight I would say from the EFL. Is it um, is it too much to say not just poor ownership as in incompetent but mm-hmm. deliberately poor ownership as in like I'm going to make some money for myself and I don't care if this club goes under? I, I asked you because I know we've, we haven't deliberately done it this way but you've done a lot of Berry research mm-hmm. and you've done some Bolton research. I have worked less hard than you and just mm-hmm. done the bottom research. I mean, to, to answer, so what? Oh, so, okay. To answer your question then, like, I would say that it's tough to know because I never fully understand if these people are buying teams because they think they'll be able to make money long term or if they think it's like a status symbol or yeah. they think it's a way to hide debt. I never quite get it. But with Barry, it seems like, I mean, they've been, they've been having issues for, I think, since like 2001. Yeah. Uh, and then in like 2015, I think it was, they had another owner come in who essentially couldn't actually pay for a lot of stuff. This is Day? Yes. And this is, this is Day and this is uh, Stuart Day and SG Management uh, Limited. Uh, and essentially, they bought borrowed a million pounds for operational costs, which was secured against Gig Lane, which is the stadium. stadium. Right? Yeah. yeah. So now all it's of a sudden. It's an excellently named stadium. I really like it. it. I keep thinking it's Ryan Gig Lane. That's what I go <laughs> with. Um, but the idea then is like if you default, you lose the, you lose the control of that stadium. Mm-hmm. And and in order to cover that one million pounds, he basically took out additional loans that I think in the end were 138 uh, percent annual interest. So that one million loan, you end up owing two point three million. Credit card, he get a better rate. 
And I mean, and this is like he'd already taken loans from other lenders, uh, cash for assets being one of them in large amounts. Right. And the thing about administration, because I didn't That's the name of a company that he took money from? It sure is. It's a warning sign right there. That should be a huge flashing red That's light. That's like the name of a pawn shop. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> but I think it also is indicative of, because I didn't really know what administration meant. Oh, yeah. Like, this is a thing a lot of people wanted to know about. So yeah. I'm sure we'll get into that at some point well, on this episode. It, I mean, I can explain it right now okay. just because it, basically the idea is that if you can't uh, pay your debts or you can't take out any more loans to cover the debts, then basically a team of administrators will come in to try to like sort you out financially. Essentially accountants, right? right. Accountants run the team. What I read is that accountants run the team in every aspect except picking the first team. Right, exactly. <laughs> but, I, but I bring that up here to say that I think if you look at the pattern of borrowing from Stuart Day, it is increasingly less like scrupulous and less banks and more cashforstuff.com or whatever. Yeah. And I think that shows... Just desperation. Where, exactly. Where he was able to start taking out loans shows you that kind of quick slide towards mm-hmm. administration. Uh, but then... Bur- owner, Burry right? were bought by Steve Dale for one Steve pound. Dale. Yes. Okay. Uh, one pound was that transaction because I think there was Because so then you take all the debt, Exactly. Right? So you're actually buying it for negative whatever the debt is. Yes. Plus but, one pound. But basically <laughs> the, the concern with Steve Dale is that his history is stripping companies for their assets. Mm-hmm. So suddenly this guy is buying a, a long-standing club and you don't really know why and he doesn't have a history of like running clubs successfully. He has a con- uh, history of kind of tearing them down and that's sort of what happens here is basically not a lot of money comes in you start having protests despite Barry getting promoted they still are having player protests they want the owner out and uh, it didn't end up happening he was looking for buyers it kept falling through I think because there's so much debt owed yeah. in so many different places and I think uh, Steve Dale wants everything paid off before he would sell yeah. uh, and also it is if you want to understand who he is, the quote that I saw that really stood out to me was, uh, "I never went to Barry, uh, so for me to be able to walk away from Barry, I never went to Barry." And wait for this one: for me to be able to walk away from Barry and never go back is a very easy thing to do. Wow! Yeah, so that's who you're looking at when it comes to owning this team. It's yeah. not a person who's been there forever and has fought and tried as hard as they could to keep the club alive. It's a person who I think you're absolutely right. In this case, saw an asset and probably an asset that could be stripped down. So here's, here's what I read. That I, I didn't do mm-hmm. much research on this, but I think yeah. I saw a, a Twitter thread by someone I trusted that essentially said when he took over, he set up two separate new companies yeah. and transferred what I believe were called like the fixed assets mm-hmm. or solid assets to these other companies. Yep. Things like trophies. So maybe that FA Cup, if they've got a replica mm-hmm. FA Cup that they won, that's worth a certain amount of money, right? That yep. could be worth £10,000. Yeah. Um, so when the when you like owe debts, that's a thing would have to be forced to be sold off. But if you move that to a separate company, mm-hmm. then you've just got now a company that has suddenly £10,000 in assets. Yep. Yeah. So uh, like you can move them around, but also then you're stripping the other... That's asset like, stripping, right? Yeah, you move exactly. it to a separate company so that when the whole thing collapses, you've still got the valuable things left over. Exactly. Yeah. But the thing that used to exist, which was Barry, now no longer has those assets. So mm-hmm. then they don't have things to guarantee against or to help them get out of financial difficulties. And I should add that uh, May, the former owner, um, also d- had a lot of uh, practices... Just before of, Day? Yes. Did you go uh, May, Day, Day? It, it, uh, no, excuse me. Excuse me. Not May, Day. It's, day. All right. My, sorry. my apologies. Um, uh, I thought that, Barry had some weird policy of only having owners that sounded similar to each other. Uh, maybe they did, but not <laughs> in this case. Stuart Day also was basically borrowing to be able to pay operational costs as well. So then once his companies go under, which is what happened and why he was forced to sell, you're not only losing your like benefactor who theoretically is supposed to be helping finance things and keep things running, yeah. but also because – 
all of their like kind of match day payments and operational costs were being paid by loans, and that company now defaults. Now you're not getting any more loans, and you don't have any way to pay for things. Oof. Yeah, and now Barry are no longer in the football league, right. right? And basically, it's because they were given like a certain amount of time to get things in order or to find a buyer. That window passed, and so then the uh, the group basically recommends that they be expelled from uh, the EFL. The big thing is as well when you owe tax money. Mm-hmm. Did Barry owe tax money? I think so. Yeah, so like that—that's a obviously a government entity, HMRC, yeah. Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. They have a lot of power in terms of demanding that this debt gets paid now. Yep, because it's owed to the government. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they the can, government they wants can really money. force the issue. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that is what happened at Bolton. It is weird that Bolton is like the success story at least because they are still operating still around. Yeah. yeah, but long term it is not a success uh-uh. story. So. The timeline is kind of complicated. Yeah. Um, so Bolton were relegated from the Premier League in 2012, mm-hmm. right? Yep. After the glory of the, I mean, the relative glory of the Sam Allardyce days where they're like fifth in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Um, they're relegated in 2012. Um, they get into some trouble because their owner, Eddie Davis, or majority shareholder, has essentially been lending the club money and, you know, keeping things going that way. He did a really, he wasn't popular with fans, but mm-hmm. he did a really good thing where he wrote off the debt right. so that it could be sold to new owners. This is what I read, that in 2016, a new ownership group came in. It was a consortium, which essentially means lots of different businessmen, right? Fronted by Dean Holdsworth, who our listeners might not know, but Dean Holdsworth was a famous Bolton player mm-hmm. in the Sam Allardyce glory Striker, days. right? He, striker or centre-back. He's one of those guys <laughs> who could play a bit of both and was everyone yeah. was really excited about him, right? So Dean Holdsworth was like the front man and then he became an executive at the club backed by a consortium of other businessmen. He got into some arguments with the other businessmen, resigned, sold his shares to Ken Anderson. That is the – Bolton fans may know more about this than just the, the rudimentary reading I've done. But that seems to be the big, big problem is that Dean Holdsworth, who is this club legend, mm-hmm. kind of let his shares go to – Someone who absolutely did not have the club's best interests at heart. No. Ken Anderson is like the Steve uh, Daly. No? What, sorry, what was, the, what was the guy's name? Dale. Oh, yes. He's sorry. The, yeah. He's the Dale of yes. Bolton. Yes. Yeah. So, what, so Ken Anderson had a history of starting companies, not paying debts to anyone, including Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, so not mm-hmm. paying tax, not paying contractors, not paying various people that he owed money to. Then letting those companies go bankrupt, right? Mm-hmm. Very um, Donald Trump, right? There's famous stories of Trump doing this at Mar-a-Lago where contractors yeah. would do a job and they'd be like, eh, I'm just not going to pay you. Eight. Right? He had eight companies go bankrupt. Uh, not Trump. No. He, yeah. I mean, uh, Trump probably had more. But no, yeah, Anderson, yeah. Anderson, yeah. Eight companies go bankrupt. What happens in England is if you do that, you get banned mm-hmm. for a certain amount of time from being a director of a company. You are not allowed to run a business, right? right. He joined – he took over Bolton just as that ban expired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, eight, eight years. I think banned in what two thousand five. So yeah, twenty thirteen. He's able to take over director role. Yay! Yep. And it all goes uh, horrifically. So August twenty seventeen is yeah. when Holdsworth sells his shares. Mm-hmm. Share sells his shares mm-hmm. to Anderson. Anderson's in charge. Doesn't pay tax. Doesn't pay the players. Uh, doesn't get involved. Um, and does essentially loads and loads and loads of shady things like this. I've got a great example of what happened. Sure. So. Bolton took a player on loan last season from Forest Green. His name was oh, Christian yeah, yeah. Deutsch. This, yeah. Did you read this? Mm-hmm. Um, so Christian Deutsch, but then you're supposed to pay his wages while he's on loan. They just didn't pay his wages, right? right? So there's a great quote from Forest Green chairman David Vince because he's dealing on a chairman-to-chairman basis with Ken Anderson. And here's what David Vince said after they recalled Christian Deutsch from his loan because he wasn't getting paid any wages. Um, the owner there is not worried about being sued or being bankrupted. He's been there and done it, and he laughed off the idea of being sued right. for not paying Deutsch's wages. Um, and here's why. He told me he's a secured creditor, so he's safe whatever happens. 
we're not, we being Forest Green, he tells me, so we'll get 10 pence on the pound, which is what kind of what happens in administration, right? There's a debt, the debt is worth 70 pounds, but like only 10% of it gets paid. So we'll get 10 pence on the pound. So he's very cocky and clearly been around the block on this one. Very poor, just very poor. Yeah. And then the players and staff become very poor as a result. Yeah, there's lots of staff didn't get paid, players didn't get paid. They organize organize food banks in Bolton to be able to pay uh, club staff because they haven't been paid. Right, yeah. And a lot of these people are not earning a great deal of money. Suddenly your wages are not getting there, but you love the club, so you're still turning up to work for Bolton, but you're not getting your salary. You need a food bank to put food on the table for your family. Yes, and I want to jump in there to like the second part of that question because I think uh, we can talk about salary cap and other maybe possibilities that would have helped here. But I feel like some of those questions come about because the way this is reported is like like uh, Burry Face administration and possible like non-existence. Uh, club hasn't paid its wages in months, and I feel like because of the way kind of like soccer gets covered or the economics of soccer get covered, I think like there's an easy way to connect those two things and think like oh. They can't afford their wages, so they're going bankrupt. Yeah. And it's the other way around, basically. It's they, they're going bankrupt, and therefore they cannot pay their players. Yes. So it's not the wages necessarily that are causing the issue. And to that end, I'm, we're talking about like the people who do the laundry, the, the groundskeepers, the match day ticket takers. All of those people aren't being paid. So it's not yep. just the 11 guys on the field. It's and the mostly, 160 other employees at Bolton. Soccer is so well paid that a lot of the guys on the field we're okay. Right. As in, like, not okay, not happy about it, but could survive, right? Because you've been yeah. earning good money mm-hmm. for your whole career. But, I mean, I don't want to give any names away, but we have a friend here in town who is related to a Bolton player who played that mm-hmm. season, didn't get paid for five months, so he left. Yeah, yeah, which is understandable. Yeah. And like, he could survive because he'd earned a good living before, but you're not going to keep playing professional soccer if you're not getting paid. No, right? you're certainly not. You also have the right to leave. Did you mm-hmm. know that? You can sort of give 12 days notice if you haven't been paid for a certain amount of time and just say, I'm, I'm, leaving, this, I'm leaving this football team. Which, knowing our friend Mr. Anderson, uh, was <laughs> probably playing on the... <laughs> Mr. Anderson. Go- yeah, which is probably how he deserves, we should he deserves say that. It so yeah. that way, yeah. But like, it feels like he's probably playing on the goodwill of the players, as mm-hmm. in like they know that if they walk away, it looks like they're being selfish and money-grubbing, yep. and they're not living up to the fans, and they're leaving people behind, and so they're not going to do that. But again, they're the ones who suffer, not the owner. And eventually, a bunch of Bolton players leave, and right. that's why this season, Bolton, they were relegated, right? So they're playing in League One. Mm-hmm. Um, they were essentially filled in a team of kids, and there's a famous story a few weeks ago where the medical staff just said, you can't do this. These kids can't play anymore. And like, to clarify, it's not a sort of like, play your kids, like, oh, there's going to be a few youngsters coming in. Oh, this in. isn't an MLS hashtag type thing. I think there were like two 17-year-olds in the starting 11 and three 18-year-olds, yeah. and they were starting like every single game. The average age was, I think, 20 years old, and that wasn't a like, because we're moving in the right direction, we've got lots no, of young kids. It was a desperate. Exactly, because we've got like 17 people that we <sighs> can uh, play. One thing we haven't talked about is points deductions. Yes. So uh, things that, you, we mentioned administration mm-hmm. earlier, right, where the, essentially the accountants take over the team so they can try and pay off various debts. When that happens, it's a football league rule that you get a points deduction. Right. So that's why Bolton Wanderers right now, well, they started the season with negative 12 points. Right now, a few games in, they have negative 11 points. <laughs> they are bottom of League One. Yes, yes. Why do you think that is, though? I read this. It okay. was because they, they in the past, uh, clubs had gone into administration as a way of avoiding debt mm-hmm. and just restructuring and not taking any football penalty for it. So you could almost run a bad business 
do a bunch of bankruptcy type stuff, restructure, and hey, all still good. But the Football League don't want you to do that. They want you to run a proper business and not be in a load of debt so that when you enter administration, you automatically get a points deduction. So would this then be like the points deduction is them sort of working to curb past behavior? It just now has basically made it so that it does feel like these days if you're getting that like points deduction, mm-hmm. it's sort of like you're getting the points deduction and you're probably getting relegated because your owner's definitely going to be like insolvent yeah. and it's all not going to work out very well. And it's sad, right? Because it, mm-hmm. ultimately it compounds the problem yeah but it also you can't just i think if there wasn't a points deduction yeah. threat there'd be a lot more ken anderson types yes right yeah i mean and there have been in the past mm-hmm. who did not do great things see portsmouth so yeah. i mean like i think you run into those same issues i mean tax and shinawatra at manchester city before that mm-hmm. which comes into the uh, fit and proper persons test yes which is laughable i guess kind of it's not as good as it no. sounds right mm-hmm. so the football league the premier league has a separate fit and proper persons yeah. test the football league has a fit and proper persons test which is essentially meant to prevent um, bad actors yeah. like owning football teams and essentially running them into the into the ground. Right. And, right, and the thing there is that like you might think it's bad actors like financially, but it's more so like a lot of different areas. Like you can't own, you can't have a vested interest or an ownership interest in two clubs in the EFL like, yeah, at yeah. the same time. Like that's not like a thing that they pr- protect against. But it's not necessarily to weed out people coming in who are going to have bad biz- business practices or strip down the club for its assets. Then you're just looking at kind of generic like, have you been convicted of a crime? Yeah, which somehow then Ken Edison's still allowed to operate, even though he like isn't allowed to be an executive for eight years. Because after a while he was still allowed, so he's right. back up. So it's essentially mm-hmm. just a checklist, right? I think it's my guess based on what you told me and what you've read is that mm-hmm. it's kind of just like a credit check. Yeah, it's not. It's not like a panel sits around and is like, so what do we think about Ken no. Anderson? It's more just like we ran his paperwork and all's good. Yeah, I yeah? think so. And and my clear. and I almost feel like it's a way for the EFL to kind of cover themselves a little bit to be like, hey, we've we've checked this person seems like they're upstanding. Yeah, and I also think it was a bigger deal when you started to have so much foreign investment coming in, specifically in the Premier League, and I go back to Shinawatra for a moment who I think did end up passing it but there were some questions about that but that was a person who there wasn't like much known about in terms of like certainly in like the like British football uh, sphere that like suddenly here's this guy and I think that's where it comes in it's sort of like well we want to make sure like we know who we're getting into business with but also we don't want to know that much information do you have money all right that's fine (laughs) it's essentially show me do you have the appearance of money honestly it is is like a credit check show me the money oh okay all right you're in business but see that's the frustrating thing it's like it's like show it's not even show me the money it's like tell me that you have the money because Mm -hmm. that's the thing with both Bury and with uh bolton they weren't actually obligated to show that they could cover the financial costs they were supposed to and at least with bolton and ken anderson he didn't ever provide that documentation which is where this kind of is rooted is that then they're like hey you have not yet filled in your paperwork we need that documentation when he doesn't give that and he fails to comply then they start looking into it more and more and then we have administration so to the second part of brian's question would a salary cap have helped and i think the answer is no based on what you said earlier it's not about like the salary was so much Mm -hmm. that um the salary was so much that we couldn't afford to run the right. club. It's more like we ran the club into the ground and now we can't pay the salaries. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with a lot. Unpaid tax is the big thing to right. me as well. Because I don't know people know this, but there's uh, a thing called value added tax, mm-hmm. which is like, with it, you know, like here, if you go to, I learned this the first time I was in the United States, the day I landed, my glasses were broken. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to CVS and I got an eyeglass repair kit. You know, the thing with a little like yeah. tiny screwdriver in it. Um, the thing was 99 cents. So I took a dollar to the register yeah. and they're like, it's 110. I was like, excuse me? 
it says 99 cents. Like, it's my first time in the US, so I didn't understand the system. But the system here is they add tax at the register, sales right? Tax, yeah. Sales tax, yeah. There's a sales tax in England, but it's included in the price. So when mm-hmm. you buy something, it's already factored in. But then the business is supposed to siphon off the uh, correct right. percentage and send it to the government. It's very easy if you're Ken Anderson or someone to just sell jerseys, right. sell burgers, sell beers at the stadium. And then you're supposed to separate some of that money out and send it to Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. Right. But some days you're just like, eh, I'm not going to send this to Her Majesty. No, I mean, I'm going to keep this here at Ken Anderson Towers. And horrifically, <laughs> that's like almost the best case scenario in terms of like ill proper, like like use of ill-gotten funds or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because the the bigger issue, I think, at least for Bury, is that you can then transfer debt. And that's what the Glazers did at Manchester United. I still don't understand how that's allowed, that they bought a team and then put all of the debt from buying the team onto the team. Yeah. That's weird. But here... Yeah, there's like a step in the middle that I don't... It's like a phase two right? in the underpants. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I think if you're an owner who comes in, you buy a club, your businesses now start to go under. I think it was a lot of real estate. That real estate goes under, so then you kind of look at that club and you start transferring debt onto the club that mm-hmm. didn't exist previously. Before that, Barry... An established team, again, 100, 125 years of operation, but not ne- like not trying to make it to the Premier League, at least not actively, not like trying to compete at that level. So they're kind of operating within their means. But now suddenly they've got more and more debts being put on them and more and more assets being pulled out. There's no way you're going to be able to sustain that long term. And it just piles up and piles up and yep. piles up, right? Because mm-hmm. then once you're, like, you're trying to pay off a debt to maybe um, some venture capital group that you've yep. earned money from, you're like, all right, we just won't pay our taxes this month. We'll like... We'll do that mm. next month. Yeah. But then there's more money next month and there's more money next month. And suddenly you owe the tax people like £2 million, which mm-hmm. is literally what happened at Bolton. Yeah. And suddenly it just gets really big. And then they can they, – I mean they're heavyweights obviously. They can come in and really demand that money. Right. And then you're in trouble. And then you're in trouble. Yeah. And, and like this is my theory on this is that I feel like people – like there are certain people who have tons of money and certain organizations who have tons of money. I'm who, just sure this show is going to go really long. That's fine. <laughs> uh, who will, people will come in because they have that money and they can sort of afford it. But I also think like aside, you know, like there are obviously like robber barons aside, you get rich by being smart. I do think to some extent. And so like yeah, – Some people just look into it. That's definitely true. I'm not talking about like birthed into money. But I'm talking yeah. about like as an example, it's like City Football, City Football Group have like done a lot to make sure that their clubs remain sustainable and like develop and have oh, like yeah, money. Enough, and, yeah. and so I think if you're like, yeah, we're going to sp- spend a lot of money on this, that's how it's going to be. But I think so many people of the – Ken Anderson level are like, oh, a football club, that's just a, a license to print money yeah. and you buy it not realizing all of the stuff that goes into it and kind well, of maybe think, and eh, I'm not going to deal with that. All right. So close this out then. Mm-hmm. I don't fully know this, but here's yeah. my gut feeling is if Ken Anderson started a bunch of companies, didn't pay debts, but just was like yeah. running the companies, I, my bet is he's kind of gambling, right? yeah. not in a casino kind of way, but in like, oh, this business will hit big and mm-hmm. I'll just be super wealthy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But then it doesn't. So, that, okay, we just See, write it off. He's it's, done wealth. It's all gone, right? <laughs> but then with a football club, it's kind of the same thing. You yeah. can be like, all right, I'll leverage a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, if we somehow make it to the Premier League, which isn't an unrealistic aim with Bolton Wanderers, right? Big team. It rains TV money. Yep. Right? It absolutely rains TV money. Then you can be genuinely wealthy. Then you can sell a Premier League team to someone, make an absolute fortune. So it's essentially a gamble that he took, right? Mm-hmm. But the gamble didn't pay off, so then we just get rid of it or go into administration or whatever. Yeah. And as the Forest Green chairman said, doesn't matter to Ken Anderson. He, no, it's no skin off him nope. at all. And, that, and, and that's, that's the problem. When you let a sociopath own your team who doesn't mm-hmm. care about the you know thousands of people who are dependent on that team for any number of reasons, 
then things go south. I should add, I'm fully aware that there are rich people who are stupid. I just mean more so people who like – people who like the, like John Henry. I, I've met some of them. Uh, like, true. <laughs> but like John Henry uh, who owns Liverpool, uh, owns the Boston Red Sox. Like yeah. that is a person who you know is going to do their due diligence when yeah, they come yeah. in and they're not just willy-nilly buying a club. Because that's how I used to think that like, oh, if you're a billionaire, you just buy a team and then they're yours forever. And like, yeah, that's, that's Roman not, Abramovich. That's not how you become a billionaire. But exactly. That's yeah. not how you become a billionaire. <laughs> exactly well said. All right. So all this is stressing me out. Yeah. So I think I need to turn okay. to today's sponsor, <laughs> Feels, because Feels, F-E-A-L-S, yep. is well a done. better way to feel better. Mm-hmm. It is premium CBD. It is, unlike what Ken Anderson did with his companies, fully legal <laughs> in all 50 states. This is true. Uh, it has been proven to greatly reduce anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness, which is not a thing that Ken Anderson has done. So once again, <laughs> CBD now uh, to nothing over Ken Anderson at this point. I think we can probably keep that scoring going. Um, because it is worth noting, though, that like similar to owning a team in the English Football League, CBD can be complicated. The world of CBD can be difficult. At Feels, they make it the process as simple as possible so you can start feeling better sooner. They've made the buying of CBD very simple and very straightforward. Unlike Ken Anderson, mm-hmm. Feels offers real human support. Mm-hmm. So if you're new to this whole thing, you're not sure what CBD is or how to use it, You, they have a free CBD hotline and text message support service. So they can guide you through your personal experience. They'll tell you sort of the best way for you to take it, the best sort of version mm-hmm. of it to use, all that kind of stuff. That's right. So they work naturally to help you feel better. No high, no hangover, no addiction, anything like that. Uh, and you can be, be guaranteed that the product is going to arrive at your door, unlike anything that uh, you're buying from Ken Anderson. You have no guarantee that it's actually a real thing or that he's ever going to send it or like remunerate you in any way. <laughs> so if you want to become a member of Feels, you can go to feels.com slash TSS and you'll get 50% off your first order and you'll get free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash TSS to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order and free shipping. One more time. That's feels.com slash TSS. Thank you very much to Feels for sponsoring today's episode of the Total Soccer Show. Joe Grove, more listener questions. Uh, up next, we've got Brent Beam, who asks, what is the soccer equivalent uh, of a player retiring early like Andrew Luck did this weekend? So I didn't fully follow the story because I'm not right. you know, an NFL fan. I understand Andrew Luck is a quarterback mm-hmm. who is 30-ish, 29. 29. Is not like permanently injured. Like it's not, He could play, right? right? He's not like ruined, but he's suffered a lot of injuries and he's already got a lot of money in the bank. Right. So he just decided no more of this. Yeah. I want to live the rest of my life comfortably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, Is that a fair description of what happened? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like I think it was the series of injuries that you pointed to and then I think also the one that maybe is where people started to like turn against him, which I think was stupid, but was that he was like and I'm just not I don't have the heart for it. Like I'm not I yeah. don't want to put in the work that's going to be required to be able to play but also put in the work that's probably going to be required to play through pain. Yeah. And I think he was just like I've done enough of that. I'm ready to be done, and I think more power to him because it's been proven that a long career in the NFL does not necessarily correlate with a long life. There we go, yeah. So based on what I knew about this, I deliberately didn't choose players who retired through actual injury. Like I can't keep – I literally can't keep going. Okay. So Marco Van Basten was an example. I did did the opposite. You did the opposite? (laughs) Okay, well, you you tell me about Marco Van Basten. Oh, no, 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 not with Marco Van Basten. I'm saying I picked picked Taylor Schwalman is probably the the one that I think is probably most – closely correlates to Andrew Luck. Uh, and, and I think Stu Holden as well. Those are my two examples. But could they have continued 
um, if they'd wanted to. I felt like they both got medical advice. You have to retire. I guess but Stu Holden's knee couldn't take I it think, anymore. Taylor Twelman was in danger of getting serious brain injuries because uh-huh. of the multiple concussions he'd had. Right. I think I didn't focus on that as much, to be honest. Like, that wasn't as big of a thing that he could have gone on. It's more that, like, a player who's theoretically in their prime, I would argue a little bit past it when you're 29 in the NFL, chose to step away because of health reasons. That's where I look at those two as sort of, like, they could have, like, what could have been had they not have been injured. But you're right, yeah. I didn't necessarily look at the, like, while they maybe could have kept playing. I guess that would more so be, like, George Best then, if yeah. you want to go well, from that perspective. I don't want to shoot down your choices uh-huh. because I want, to, I want to hear you out on them. Well, it's basically just that. I mean, Taylor Twelman retires around the age of 30 due, due to concussions. And I think, I mean, like, did attempt to play through it, which is part of the reason why he continued to pick them up and then yeah. eventually, like, is forced to retire. So I guess I take your point there that being forced to not necessarily the same, although he ends up calling time on his own career, I think, yeah. after not getting many And games. has gone on to have a really successful media True. career mm-hmm. and be the... Oh, maybe alongside Paul Tenorio, yeah. the number one breaker of news this in is the true. United States. I don't think Andrew Luck is going to have that successful a career as a broadcaster. Uh, that's just me. Um, and then Stu Holden. I mean, he, won't, me. he won't break transfer rumors like Taylor Tolman did. No, he will not. Uh, <laughs> have you ever heard Andrew Luck talk? No. That's why you don't get my joke. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Stu Holden. Uh, Maybe is a little bit closer then to it because, like, multiple knee surgeries, including one that was botched. And I think basically, like, tore, tore another one again and I think just made the choice, like, that's it, I'm done. Yeah. So there probably could have— Things were getting worse and worse. I right? mean, like, I'm not trying to humble brag here. Like, we have played with Stu Holden. Like, he, he can In still— In the Premier League, right? That's exactly. when you played for Man United yeah, and I obviously. played for Leeds. Yeah, we played pickup <laughs> with Stu Holden, which is obviously not the same. But I, I point that out just to say that, like, he still plays. Like, it's not as though Stu Holden can't walk and was thus told, like, you must be done with soccer forever and if you try to run and cut on it you may lose your leg like right. he probably could have kept playing but i think the cost benefit analysis showed him it's probably not going to be worth it for the amount of money for the amount of pain for the amount of surgeries for the amount of damage i'm going to do to my body and also without not, a guarantee and also you're not going to be as good yeah as true. you were mm-hmm. right there's definitely a competitive thing of like players who are yeah. like top level don't want to keep competing when they're not what yeah. they know they could be right you know what i'm saying and, and and the thing i yes i absolutely know what you're saying but like the thing that i really loathe about this entire conversation is how much I'm uncomfortable saying anything that has them be perceived as weak. Because, like, there is this idea with athletes that, like, oh, like, he could have played through his knee surgery, but he didn't. Like, that's not like that's not what I mean. I mean more so that, like, yeah, he could, but he probably does it again and his life isn't fun. But I think that's what kind of messes with me about Andrew Luck is there's this idea like oh he's just not tough enough like if he were tougher he could do it it's just like no like the dude had multiple surgeries and yeah. like lacerated his spleen and kept playing toughness a billion times exactly right. but this isn't a referendum on Andrew Luck I think yeah. I, honestly the answer to the Andrew Luck thing is really obvious it's yeah. just he can do whatever he wants yeah. leave him alone true um, you mentioned George Best I disagree with George Best because he kind of stepped away from top level soccer mm-hmm. when he stepped away from Manchester United at 27 yeah but then he kept on going. He did. <laughs> he played for Fulham. I actually made a quick list. He played for Fulham a little bit, which is like the most serious attempt at a mm-hmm. comeback. But he played NASL. He played in Scotland. He played in Hong Kong. He played in Australia. He played in English non-league. Mm-hmm. So the equivalent would be if Andrew Luck steps aside, but then pops up in the CFL next year, and then maybe NFL Europe starts up again next mm-hmm. year, and he goes and plays and only plays arena football. Like if, if Andrew Luck started popping up playing weird. Um, leagues, mm-hmm. then it would be an equivalent to George Best. Yeah. I think the actual perfect corollary is Eric Cantona. All right. See, I discounted him <laughs> in my list, so I'm curious to hear why you think it, it works. Because he stepped away when he could have kept playing right. at a high level. Right? But not due to injury, though. No. See, but that's, but that's... Andrew Luck isn't injured. He just doesn't want to get beat up anymore. He's just sick of playing, right? He's, like you said, he doesn't have the heart for it anymore. Eric Cantona kind of 
didn't want to keep playing anymore. I got you. All yeah. right. I can see that. Because like, Eric Cantona was perfectly capable of keeping on playing, right? His last season, he was 30 years old. It was the 96-97 yeah. season. Do you remember the chip against Sheffield United, the famous chip, mm-hmm. and the slow spin around and the yeah. arms out? That was that season. That was his last season. Yeah. He was still sort of very near his peak, if, if not just over. Mm-hmm. But he just said, I'm not into this anymore. Not interested. Going to stop playing. Yeah. And then he stopped playing. I guess we don't know what Andrew Luck's going to do, but you can't really just re-enter the NFL the next year, right? So, uh, yeah, that's pretty unlikely. Yeah, so it's unlikely <laughs> we see Andrew Luck again. The same way that Cantona was just like, nope, done. Yeah. See you again in 20 years when I give a weird speech. I still think, though, like, <laughs> I'm not trying to be, like, argumentative. It just is the case for me, like, mentally that I have a hard time making that connection because it was for Cantona just like, I'm done. Like, it was a very Cantona decision, yeah. whereas with Luck it comes from all of the surgeries and pain and everything like that. So that's the only reason why I have a hard time like saying like, yeah, that one may- that one works for me just because it was like, Cantona just chose to walk away because he was Cantona. Uh-huh. Andrew Luck is like, I have destroyed my body and I don't want to continue to destroy my body anymore. <laughs> so I'm going to walk away at like roughly the same so maybe age. there is no, du- there's no yeah. direct equivalent where someone's like been beat up, but it's still physically good enough to play at a high level. Yeah. Um, but they just decide, you know what? No more. Yeah. Like maybe there just isn't quite that equivalent. Like from what I understand, Marco Van Basten mm-hmm. wanted to keep going, mm-hmm. but the surgeons were just like, your ankles are ruined. You cannot play properly yeah. anymore. You know what I'm saying? There's yeah. no. So it's a weird like your ankles just worn out. Goldilocks thing where it's right in the middle for Andrew. Look, maybe there's no perfect equivalent. Yeah, maybe not. But that makes sense as to why it's an even bigger story. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's strange though, right? That like because even all the stories that I read that were like. Retired prematurely at 33. I'm like, well, I mean, that's that's a good long career in soccer <laughs> to be like – like Jurgen Klinsmann, I read that, was like could have kept going but chose to hang up his boots at 33 yeah. or 32 or something like or that. Or maybe there were a lot it's of players – the same. Maybe there were a lot of players who retire at like 32, 33 mm-hmm. and it is because they're a little bit beat up yeah. they could keep going. But it's just not such a big deal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then there are players like Andre Pirlo who could retire and then just keep going for like five more years. <laughs> just playing with a glass of wine in <laughs> Exactly. Ready for another question? That's really weird. I, it, first of all, it's interesting, how, like, the different perspective that we had on that one, yeah, but yeah. also that, yeah, you're right. In the end, Andrew Luck is a rare case. Mm-hmm. Turns out. Yes. Next question. <laughs> Next question in this four-hour-long mm-hmm. Total Soccer Show fine. comes from – I'm actually enjoying it. That's yeah. fine. Matthew Graham. Matthew Graham says, I tend to think of Jesse Marsh as having essentially the opposite approach to tactics from Greg Berhalter. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that. I think he's kind of right. Okay. Um, Matthew's question is, if Jesse Marsh had been hired as the U.S. Men's National Team coach instead of Berhalter – would you expect the starting 11 for the upcoming international break to be significantly different or largely the same? All right. My, my honest answer to this is I think it's probably somewhat similar this time. This time next year, I think it would be very different. Okay. That, that's my answer. But I think – and I say that mostly because it would, I think it would be hard for Jesse Marsh to drop certain big names that I think he might be inclined to drop a year from now. Mm-hmm. And so I think we'd still see a lot of the same names as like they're kind of moving some people along and seeing where people fit. But I think the contrast in styles definitely factors into it, presuming Jesse Marsh continues to play like a high-press, high-intensity yeah. system. For the Red Bull U.S. men's national team. Exactly. <laughs> I just don't think Michael Bradley, for example, right. is doing great in a 4-4-2 right. empty bucket running around a whole bunch. Okay, well, you let me set the tactical sure. uh, mm-hmm. what's the word landscape before we get into that. Because I agree with you about Michael Bradley. Yeah. So Greg Berhalter, very possession-heavy, right? Mm-hmm. The idea is we have the ball, we move the ball around, eventually we open up opportunities and then we exploit them. Jesse Marsh is more about... One, we press really high and we go all out. When we get the ball, it's all about quick transitions and just like punching you really hard when we can. And we risk losing the ball by doing it fast. Mm-hmm. Right? So essentially, Jesse Marsh teams risk losing the ball, play really quickly. Greg Berhalter teams value possessing the ball and go a bit more slowly. Mm-hmm. Fair enough? Fair enough. Yeah. And, th- and, there's a, and there's a place for Michael Bradley or Will Trapp 
in a Greg Berhalter system, there's not really a place in a Jesse Marsh system for a Michael Bradley. My question for you before we go deeper on this one, I wanted to pause here and ask you, if Jesse Marsh had taken over, do you think he tries to do that with the national team? Because I think pressing with a national team is way harder to implement than it is at club level. I honestly don't know, but it'd be weird if he didn't, just because right? that's what we've seen him do his whole career. So I, that, it'd be weird if he took over and was yeah. suddenly like, all right, we're a, we're a slow possession team now. True. Because it would be Jesse Marsh doing a whole new thing that he didn't necessarily know how to coach. Yeah, I just, I, it, what trips me up is like, I don't know how he would be able to do it because you have so little time with the players and you can't like, you know, be texting them all the time about like, here's how I want to do pressing. Their club managers would love it that. just the same as what Berhalter's is doing? You're just teaching a different thing. Right? I suppose so. Yeah. I think I just think of pressing as requiring such organization yeah. that then again, I mean, the Dutch did it pretty effectively. Uh-huh. Never won a title though. So, you know, who knows? Um, but yeah, so I so think- So let's imagine that, yeah. that he did do it. Okay, so for played, purposes of this, I like purposes it. of this, he did it and he plays a 4 2 2 2 which is really like, that's one too many, right? That's fine. I do that all the time. <laughs> a four and three twos, which yeah. is essentially what he does, right? Yeah. Um, and then he picks his U.S. men's national team. Mm-hmm. The big difference is he'd be playing two strikers, Yep. right? The 4-2-2-2 two, two, two mm-hmm. has two strikers. So in this camp, at least, you couldn't just call up Jesse Zardes and Josh Sargent because you would need at least one spare striker. You would need mm-hmm. maybe four strikers on the roster yep. to form that front two. When you say 4 2 2 2 2 2 2 2 2, two, two mm-hmm. um, are you thinking of t- two of those being wider or do you yeah. think of them as vertical? Okay, I just the, wanted to make sure. The second yeah. pair of two are sort of... They're sort of wingers, but yeah. they also end up playing more mm-hmm. central. It's a very weird formation. Where do you think Pulisic fits in there? Because I had him as one of those front yeah, two, and definitely. that was the thing that they're No, I'd ha- he'd be one of the two wingers, okay. I think. Oh, one yeah. of the two wingers. Okay, cool. That makes, okay, that makes mm-hmm. more sense. Now I can but see then, it. But then the central midfielders would definitely be, say, Weston McKennie. Yep. And obviously, if he was fit, it would be Tyler Adams. Yep. It would be a McKennie-Adams system right. as the two central midfielders. Absolutely no doubt in my mind. I would agree with that. But Adams would still be injured right now, right? Right. So, so, so I guess to go back to this question, then, do you think it would be that different? Are there players that you think definitely would not be on there? Like, would, do you think Will, Will Trapp gets called in, or do you think that is a Greg Berhalter selection? I think that – so I'm not – not to argue that they're not good enough for the national team, mm-hmm. but Will Trapp and Jesse Zardes definitely benefit from their pre-existing right. relationship with Greg Berhalter and their pre-existing knowledge of Greg Berhalter's system. Checks and out. I think the thing that would happen with Jesse Marsh is if he's trying to teach a system, it would make sense for him to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So in place of Will Trapp being called in, someone like – I mentioned him earlier. Sean Davis might have been called into the U.S. Men's National Team this past January. Yeah, right? I mean, you flip that around. Because yeah. he plays the Jesse Marsh system. Exactly. Right? Yeah, Aaron Long is definitely going to get some preferential treatment. Uh, Moyle? Yeah. Moyle. Okay. Is, is Roy is Austrian and Moyle is American, right? Yeah. Alex Moyle uh, would have been, I think, part of the January camp and then would be like one of those guys who has an institutional Jesse Marsh knowledge. I genuinely can't remember if he was still there when Tim Parker came through. That was the one that I was pausing on for a moment. If I think he, he was. Yeah, okay. I mean, Tim Parker's been around a while. There you go. Yeah. All right. So, all right, and Louis Parker, Ro- I mean, Parker and Long would still have been called up just because they're good defenders and because they know Jesse Marsh. Right? And Luis Robles is starting goalkeeper? I mean, he'd, be, he'd probably be in contention, yep. right? So there would be some of that favoritism mm-hmm. based on he understands my system, therefore yep. he plays. Yeah. Right? All right. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. And then, and then I, th- I do think, though, that if you're going to play that like the high intensity system you do have to have a lot of people who can run so i yeah. think slower players i doubt tim ream is getting nearly as many looks under that's Jesse Marsh yeah, as that's an true. example yeah all right so maybe yeah, we, a little we, different we wouldn't have the left back who plays left center back right it would no. be all like left backs who can run up and down you need like a Kamal, an american kamar lawrence is which what is you would need we, well yes exactly and with you that don't in mind, have one I mean, well here's my question then anthony like, robinson that's what anthony I'm robinson might have been a more uh, jesse marsh player is this yeah. the like the multiverse situation of like Jesse Marsh is managing the U.S. national team, and we're like, oh, man, Anthony Robinson is lights out unplayable, but because the situation is different, it's different. I think Douglas Costa would still burn him occasionally. <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> um, anyone else that you think of who would benefit from Jesse Marsh being in charge of the national team? Last call. Last call for this. 
Um, I don't like. Do, do you think Fabian Johnson like is a player that we've talked about that maybe does he come in and play because he can play wide, he can score goals, he can be an attacking defender if need be. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's as I said. I think it's it's similar names right now, but I think long term we see other names get phased out faster. Yeah, and younger names probably get brought in more quickly because there's also the history of Red Bull of bringing through academy players. Yeah. So I think. He probably kind of honors that tradition a little bit too at the national team level. So be younger, faster, more productive. Yes. The, the guy that I keep thinking of, and I have to stop my brain going there because it mm-hmm. happened pre-Belter, pre what would have been the Jesse Marsh timeline mm-hmm. <laughs> in the, the Marshyverse, mm-hmm. um, is uh, um, uh, Gonzalez, Jonathan Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. He would be perfect for the Jesse Marsh system. Would he? Yeah. He's such a like ball hunter. Mm-hmm. Remember all the times we watched him from Monterey? He hunts that ball down. He would be a great Jesse Marsh player. I mean, that means you're losing one of Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney. Oh, yeah. So that's another thing that wouldn't happen. Tyler Adams right back to central midfield pivot mm. thing would not be happening no. at all. No. Tyler Adams would be at the very center of center midfield. Yes, he would. <laughs> yes, he would. So, yeah, I think I hope that's uh, uh, answered for Matthew Graham. It's an interesting question, though. It's not one I had previously thought about. I feel like we're doing good. All right. All I right. Feel like we're doing good. Well, I feel like we should probably talk about uh, today's sponsor, if that yes. works for you. We're going to talk about our friends over at AwayDaysFootball.com. Away Days they is also today's done sponsor. Good. They, they also <laughs> done good. Good. Um, they have many products. We've talked about the many products, but I want to focus on the mystery kits for a moment because okay. I love the mystery kits. Okay. Grove. I love them so much. <laughs> I love seeing. Do you hug your mystery kits at night? I mean, I like my mystery kit. I wear it when I run and uh-huh. sometimes when I play and sometimes when I coach. But no, I really enjoy when we get the Twitter photos from people who have gotten their away days jersey yeah. because I've even the people who like get a team that maybe they're not that into or like have a vague rivalry with. There's still this like excitement of like, well, I didn't buy it for myself. And I think that is kind of the great thing. Away. A little bit yeah. that it's like, oh, yeah, it's this cool service that gave me this jersey. You don't have to be like, oh, yeah, I went to a store and like intentionally chose some random team. It's like, mm-hmm. no, it was, it was shipped to me. It's a cool product. It's a cool service. But it allows you to get like a cool jersey that you might not otherwise have from a team that you might otherwise not know about. It's like my wife's idea for a restaurant where you, you walk in, you sit down, and the waiter tell, takes a look at you and tells you what you're having. Ooh. Well, that'd be enough of that. Although yeah. then it could get real judgy real fast. <laughs> <laughs> Mac and cheese for you. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, if the waiter's just really lazy, it's the same thing every time. It's like bread for everybody. The, the amazing Randy, <laughs> the, like, debunker of things, uh, did, did the famous one where he had, like, all the school kids, like, read their horoscope. And they're like, it's totally for me. This is handmade for me. And then he has them all pass it backwards to the person sitting behind them, and it's the exact same horoscope. It would be like that. It would just be like, for you, I think the macaroni and cheese speaks to your inner creativity. And for, <laughs> you, the mac- a lot of it. <laughs> and for you, the macaroni and cheese speaks to your love of macaroni and cheese. <laughs> Like, you could just find ways to BS around it. Luckily, mm-hmm. that is not how the mystery kit system works. It is works. not. They're not just giving you mac and cheese in the mail. That would be weird. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be into that. <laughs> um, but instead, with all types you, of products today. if you pay uh, $25, mm-hmm. uh, you get a mystery kit. If you haven't heard about it before, it's not a big team. You're not getting an Arsenal or Real Madrid jersey. Mm-hmm. You are getting a Panathinaikos or a Real Oviedo yep. or Benfica jersey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is true. Big enough teams, but just not quite that like mainstream everybody's yeah. wearing these. Some championship teams in there so that that, yeah. that seem to inevitably... I've seen Switch and Forest yeah. people uh, Middlesbrough. I've seen people get yeah. those. And they end up like signing Americans and then suddenly you were in before it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they also have the Women's World Cup mystery kits. Uh, those are women's sizes only, uh, but they feature Argentina, Australia, Brazil, Canada, England, France, Germany, and Spain from this summer's tournament. They're also doing a completely separate thing where they're working with uh, American teams Mm -hmm. to almost be a storefront for some independent teams. Right Right now on their website, I see the Providence City FC Hammer kit. Yeah. And it has, um, it's kind of a certain movie from 1975 that features 
a big fish mm-hmm. themed. Um, it's Revival Brewing Company as the sponsor, and there's a hammerhead shark heading up out of the water. Uh, yeah, which, oh, sorry, is FC Hammer an MC Hammer reference? Uh, I I don't know what, what's happening there. <laughs> it's I, a cool jersey. I mean, it is. I, I hammer don't hurt him. I guess would be like <laughs> if, if that's the case. If that's their like logan, uh, slogan, not Logan. You've got me thinking uh, Succession <laughs> again. Uh, th- yeah, I'm down for it. But I do also love Jaws. Uh, so I'm good with it. Oh, I was trying that. to not name the movie. We can say it. It's I fine. Guess we, maybe, I didn't want to get Revival Brewing in, in any trouble. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll be out of business next week and it'll be all Taylor's fault. Well, until that happens, <laughs> um, you should check out awaydaysfootball.com and use the code TSS at checkout for 15% off, Mr. Grove. Yeah, which TSS stands for Totally Suave Shirts. <laughs> totally Suave Shirts. <laughs> Awaydaysfootball.com, 15% off using Totally Swap shirts or TSS. Definitely just use TSS. Don't try Totally Swap shirts. That will not work. Uh, final couple of questions. Yeah, let's do it. Um, next question mm-hmm. comes from John Martin. Which formerly great club team would you like to see be great mm-hmm. again? You saw my answer to this already, didn't you? Is it Manchester United? No, it was just Rangers in all caps oh, <laughs> and very long. I did see but that. But my, my amended answer is, strangely enough, Rangers and also Celtic. And, and Celtic have obviously I won like – I Celtic and not just in opposition to your Rangers thing. But okay. just I want that – I want those Scottish teams to be like globally competitive again. Yeah. yeah. Like I mean – To make the Champions League group stages. The Lions of Lisbon, right? 1967 yeah. Yeah. Celtic. Yeah, Jinky like, Johnson, Dan yeah. Wing. There we go. <laughs> Don't say that on the air. Um, but but yeah, like I like I I forget those moments that like Celtic were this pioneering team in European soccer and first cha- team to win the European yeah Cup. exactly and changed the way people saw soccer and changed the way people played the game and so you see that and then you see them like winning every single SPL title which you know so yeah lots of success they're still a, a pretty great team in terms of winning silverware mm-hmm. but in terms of that like I mean they're already out of the Champions League I believe like like to not well they definitely are they're not in the group stage we talked about it an hour and a half ago yeah we didn't uh, mention them when we did the. Eight- <laughs> We did not. Yeah. So, like, to see that like level of kind of drop off for them is is a bit frustrating, and you want to see them be more competitive. And then, obviously, for Rangers having to kind of rebrand and restart, and now where they are, definitely not at that same level where they were years past when the Old Firm Derby really mattered, when it felt like either team could win it and either team could end up winning the title. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. and I think we've talked about this before, but the answer could be the European Super League could yep. be a way for all those teams in. Um, yeah. smaller leagues like the Portuguese League and the Scottish League and the maybe the Austrian Bundesliga or the Belgian League you could have a Super League where they are able to compete because suddenly all the TV money that they don't have will be there for the taking that would be ideal yeah, but that until will. that happens until that happens mm-hmm. um, I would like to see Leeds United I get back to the top not least because the current version of Leeds United getting back to the top would include Marcelo Bielsa so it would be glorious. Uh, uh, so I actually it'd be much off... more fun than the David O'Leary era. Yes, uh, <laughs> but I want to be able to bring back Rio Ferdinand just to get like one like famous Leeds player in there. Okay. What could go wrong? Have him play centre back. Yeah, sure. Um, but I was gonna actually I was gonna look into more English teams, but I figured I would rather just ask you because there are teams that I have like. Like when we did the like which teams historically deserve to be in the Premier League, like we talked about like Nottingham Forest and Derby County for yeah. their like European runs and the kind of history there. But I don't know, would they be clubs like that that sort of like kind of fell off or were they sort of clubs that had this quick rise and then quick descent? So I think of Forest and Derby as teams that they were never massive, right? They're right. never getting 60,000 or mm-hmm. 80,000 to a game. I think the Forest ground holds like twenty or 30,000 mm-hmm. at most. They're essentially small clubs that were just really well run for – 
a few decades, yep. and mostly because of Brian Clough in both cases. Mm-hmm. And and that's <laughs> really is that you get one like genius manager yeah. who just assembles a team that is able to have this smaller team compete with Liverpool, Manchester United, et al. Oh, Brian Clough. So it's not quite the same in terms of them being oh. great, great again because they're never going to have those nights where there's eighty thousand people there. Yeah. You know so then, it, so then it is Leeds, right? Leeds, it's Leeds is the most. Yeah, mm-hmm. Ellen Road hold, holds, I think, forty thousand. Yeah. Leeds is a big enough city. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of people who love. Leeds United. So, yeah, for them to be a great team again would be really exciting. Aston Villa, I'd kind of say the same, but they're at least back in the Premier League. Right? All right. Aston Villa, former European Cup winners. I forget that. 1982. Yeah. Well, speaking of teams that definitely won European silverware, this is a strange one given the season they just had. But I would put Ajax in this as well. Ajax, obviously, still very competitive in the Eredivisie, but it's another thing similar to Celtic where you look at the historical impact of the Ajax teams of the 70s, obviously, and winning three European Cups in a row and everything that they brought into soccer. So and it's like, like you've been researching your own know, It's weird, right? some sort of other soccer but like, But, like, I have, <laughs> correct. And But it's it still is a thing that I forget get about similar to how we now think of like certain national teams as good that maybe we didn't until they like performed at like a high level yeah like it's it's worth it's worth yeah exactly exactly but it's worth remembering like i saw many historians point out that like if not for cruyff and that netherlands team and that ix team like the netherlands might not be a soccer nation like it it takes that result i mean one of the last countries to go pro we'll talk about them later but (laughs) it's it does feel like like you look at those teams and how important they were and the players that came through there and the kind of system they established and the importance of that system and how many teams copied it and now for them to be essentially a club that occasionally overperforms but a lot of times is like a feeder club and their players get poached at a young age I would love to see that strongest Ajax team possible still together because they would absolutely be competing for the Champions League, I think, at least yeah, like the semifinals every year. If they didn't lose players. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it would be, yeah, it'd be fascinating. So that's that's a strange one because they're still a very big team. Because they made the semifinals of the Champions right. League last year. Totally. But that hasn't been the case for a good long time. It has not. Right? It yeah. has not. Um, okay, um, Honved, I wrote just because of the glory days of Puskas yeah. and all that. Yeah. But I don't know really enough about them to be like, I've actually, I've been to their stadium, yeah. weirdly. Uh, but it's not like I'm like some super Honved fan who thinks they need to be big again. Yeah, that was... I do, it's just like a... A romantic name from the fifties and sixties. The uh, the Vienna team as well from like that like laid the groundwork for total football. Like that yeah. was another one where I was like, ah, that's too much for me. Like I cannot claim to like ah oh, <laughs> the glory days in the nineteen tens or whatever. How about this one, Milan? That is that was my last one. Mm-hmm. Yep, because mm-hmm. similar thing. We're like still in Serie A, still like occasionally getting European spots, still have big name players. But definitely not that Milan team of like or like even like the Milan club I should say of years past where it was yeah. terrifying uh, a terrifying proposition to so play them. So 80s terrifying, 90s terrifying. Yep. The Rigosaki yep. era, the 2000s they were still really mm-hmm. really good, right? With yeah. the Perlo era and, and all mm-hmm. that. Um, then like towards the end of the 2000s is when it all kind of started to to fall away. Like mm-hmm. essentially after Maldini retired, yep. not that it was all on him, but I think his his retirement coincided with uh, like the downturn in Milan's fortunes. Yeah. But it's worth remembering, they were like one of the absolute big boys. Like When you were listing teams who might make the Champions League semifinals, you might go Real Madrid, yep. Milan. You would just list yeah. them like naturally like that. And they've just slowly fallen out of that. And I think mm-hmm. the biggest reason for Milan uh, becoming, wanting them to become 
um, a great team again would be for Juventus to have a real, real challenge yep. in Serie A instead of, oh, who's going to win the leagues? Bayern Munich, Juventus, like, and you mm-hmm. just knock them off like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and I would I would have put Inter in there as well, except that they have remained in kind of Champions League places. They've remained up there. It's just Juve- Juventus are so dominant. But also with the summer that uh, you, or Inter have just had, it does feel like they're still capable of getting to that like top, top tier level, whereas Milan, I think, not quite there yet Mm-mm. and probably won't be for a little bit of time. I mean, Wolves are buying their players. There you go. <laughs> and that's and like and that I wanted to add though that like we are sort of talking about historically big teams that are mm-hmm. still right there. It's, there's only a few I think of that like have completely had downturns in form, but then there's lots of other ones that I started to write down, and then I was like, no, that's just like a team that I know of or a team that like had a good season once that I remember. Yeah, yeah. And then now I'm like, well, they should be really good again. That was my hundred pick. I was like, oh, Pushkas played for them. Yeah. Let's make them great again. But even then, like they had that sustained run. I mean, like the like Galatasaray, who like were like good for like one year and like played in Europe, but really no one actually cares about yeah, Galatasaray. Yeah. Red Star, the same sort of. I've got one final great answer. That will make Ryan Bailey very happy. Wimbledon, huh? AFC Wimbledon. That's fair. If AFC Wimbledon could get to That's the fair. same level that Wimbledon FC were yeah. at to the Premier League, mm-hmm. that would be glorious. They wouldn't even have to like be one of the best teams in the Premier League. But if they could just get up there and be this scrappy underdog team and somehow still survive in the Premier League era, that would be the most glorious redemption of all time. And Robbie Earle is the saving grace for that team. Because <laughs> I think of like John Fashnew, no thank you. Vinnie Jones at that time, certainly no thank you. But... But Robbie Earl just seems like a nice guy. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want Robbie Earl to be happy. Uh-huh. Let's get Wimbledon back up there. <laughs> and also maybe Ryan Bailey, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> Make Robbie Earl and uh, Ryan Bailey happy. Yeah, that's yeah. a good shout. Wim- Wimbledon is now uh, number two on my list behind Rangers. Okay. <laughs> Rangers and AFC Wimbledon. I like that. I'm taking it. It's mine now. <laughs> <laughs> and not least because if people don't know, the, I, I don't do the whole story, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's not literally the same team. Like if you had to track the companies, but it's basically the team reborn in its own image. Which team are you talking AFC about? AFC Wimbledon. Because also, <laughs> also Rangers. Rangers. <laughs> That's why I was like, I genuinely don't know which team you're talking about. <laughs> oh. It would be a repudiation of MK Duns, right? If they were just yeah. so far above them. I think what we've established in this show is that, uh, hey, soccer owners, be better. Be better. Be better. Be best. Yes. All right, final question of today comes from Sagar Surumagiri. Mm. Sagar Surumagiri. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been my observation, says Sagar, that soccer fans, unlike most other sports fans, do not obsess with statistics. Why is this so? Is there a historical or sporting reason for this? Or is it because soccer statistics have not evolved enough? Hmm. Um, I think it's maybe a combination of a couple things. Uh, first of all, I think there is probably, as with most sports, there's a general hesitation to accept new ideas and new trends. So I think about some other podcasts I listen to that are based in the UK, where there is a sort of dismissive attitude sort towards things like expected goals. Yeah, yeah. And I think that probably is... newish, right? Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, so there's always that hesitation. British but people I, don't like new things. No. Like the European Union. But I also... <laughs> I mean, well, to be fair, it is mostly full <laughs> Sorry, of foreigners. That, that one broke me. Oh my god! <laughs> no, we're making this we're making this slightly happier. We're not going to keep going down the sad, sad, sad path. But I would say, like, I do think that the Americanness of statistics needs to be pointed out here because so yeah. many American sports are. He went the, like like batting. He went you know three for five last night with like two two doubles and a single, like which would be a very good return. But like well, that would make sense because I said yeah three for five we're good. But like everything is like points, assists, blocks. I'm surprised one man can drink that much. It's, it's still <laughs> true. Uh, it's it's t- it's like you know touchdowns, it's receptions, it's interceptions. It's like that's how you track sports. I think in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and because soccer is so low scoring. 
but also doesn't really lend itself to like, oh, he had 37 touches last night. Like some people will report that, but that is not a thing that you and I would ever in normal conversation be like, did you see that game last night? Will Trapp had the ball for 45 times. Yep. Never thought that would happen. Like it's, it's, it, that's not necessarily a thing that lends itself to, I think, like soccer conversation. I think we have the same answer, which is essentially that American sports especially mm-hmm. are more measurable. Yeah. Right? There's, you know how many uh, yards were gained on mm-hmm. a pass or right. run because it's literally part of the game. Yeah. Right? You know, you, you don't have to like be some statistician and be watching and having a pencil and writing right. it down yourself. You'll know if it was first and 10 mm-hmm. and then it's second and four. Yep. You know that they went six yards. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm saying, but it's like, it's literally part yeah. of the game. The numbers are already in the game. In soccer, the only numbers that are in the game are on the scoreboard. That's literally the yeah. only stat that is like easily trackable. Yeah. Everything else is nebulous, ebb and flow. Who knows what's happening? Right. And then, and then with that, I think the ebb and flow is very important there because you also don't have the stoppages, obviously. So usually when do you get stats? Halftime, full-time. Like yep. That's when you get that reported. Aside from that, maybe you'll get some in, in-game commentary. Maybe you'll get some graphics up on the screen. But generally speaking, you don't have the kind of hard reset using the stats that you would with coming out of commercial. Cam Newton's got the ball now. That's He's it, had yeah. a rough first half. We'll see how he picks up the second half. Throwing yeah, yeah. two interceptions or He's whatever. Average this many yards. Yeah, exactly. It's a Per way- reception? Yeah. Cam Newton receiver? Uh, quarterback, <laughs> but maybe maybe sometimes he throws to himself. You never know. Uh, <laughs> he just throws it up in the air and catches it. I think Allen Iverson did that once in a game. Supposedly, that's probably a made up story. Um, but like, so you don't have that reset, and so I think also because of that, you don't have the person saying this is how many times uh, Andrea Pirlo had the ball in this half. And so what ends up being the case, I think, is commentators kind of use the eye test of like, oh, he gave the ball away a lot. They wouldn't say you know, uh, 18 of 30 in terms of, like, ball retention. They'd just be like, yeah, he's had a rough night. Hasn't retained the ball very well. And historically, that's been it, right? But um, in the last decade plus, companies have started, like, intense companies like Opta, uh, which I think is the dominant sports Mm -hmm. stats uh, company, have started tracking all kinds of statistics across soccer. And then um, uh, broadcasters have access to it. Uh, clubs have access to it. Journalists have access to it if mm-hmm. you want to pay the opt fee, right? And you can also have access through sites that sublicense it, like whoscored.com, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they start, they have started essentially creating statistical categories that don't actually exist in the game, really. Right. But Opta has created them and then tracked them, right? And I'm thinking of things like, uh, I made a quick list, right? Pass completion, mm-hmm. interceptions, recoveries, uh, dribble success rate, aerial duels won and lost, expected goals like these things aren't actually real as in they're not part of the game in the same as the first and 10 becomes second and four mm-hmm. but you they are they're created and then they're tracked yeah it's interesting right it's almost up to have created a system yeah but now we also accept that as the reality that oh uh Kante had uh, four interceptions in this right. game. Can I say a, a couple things to that? Because I, I don't disagree with any of you said, but I think there's some things in there that I find really interesting. That like you're right that they're like Opta have stats that you can track now. But I also get frustrated because I think in baseball, if it's a hit, it's a hit. Everybody counts that as a hit. Whereas, yeah, yeah. I mean, how many times have have you been like, oh, this team had 56 percent possession? And I'm like, well, this site says 59 percent. Like, soccer's hard to track, right? right? And yeah. and so that again is sort of like. That's where I think there's a little bit of hesitation with stats is like if you get it wrong or you get it from a different source, it can be different. And different and, places use different metrics. Yeah. That's part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Because like some – like say dribble success rate, you might think, all right, he's gone past him but he ran out of bounds. Mm-hmm. Like did he go past the player successfully or not? And one company might yep. say yes. One company might say no. And those two stats are very different. And then there's always things that are similar like tackles, interceptions, ball recoveries. Yeah. Like one's a straight up like 1v1 tackle. Mm-hmm. 
One's you intercept a pass that was intended somewhere else, and then a ball recovery is like a loose ball that you pick up. That's the one that's so and it's a judgment me. call uh-huh. over which is which, right? But Especially it, interceptions and ball recoveries could go either way, depending on what the literally the person sitting at the optic computer right. decides to notate. And this is where I think, like, maybe this won't make sense. Maybe I'm totally wrong. Totally could be, but I feel like a lot of times, like statistics in American sports are the story. It's like this yeah. quarterback did this. This guy had a triple-double. Like that's the story. Whereas I feel like a lot of time with soccer, stats are used to kind of like support the story. That it's mm-hmm. like this guy who actually hasn't scored that many goals has been really, really good. Here is his ball retention statistic. And that's how you can sort of back up that yeah, argument. Yeah. Less so than... we pick statistics. Is that you're never going to have a headline of like, blank midfielder leads the league in retention. It's like, what? Okay, great. Moving is on. Is it fair to say that American sports statistics are more trustworthy because you can have things like um, Jerry Rice had this many yards yeah. and receptions? Mm-hmm. And if those numbers are big, which, I mean, I'm not a big NFL guy, but I, I know Jerry Rice's numbers were yeah. big. There's just no arguing right. that he was a really good receiver. Yes, right? exactly. But whereas you could say uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers' mm-hmm. pass completion rate was 98%. Right. But you don't know where he was passing it. I was mean, it yeah. sideways, backwards, exactly. forwards. Yeah. So I think stats can be more misleading in soccer because you can cherry pick versus apart from goals, even like goals mm-hmm. scored maybe is like the one stat that probably people used. But yep. then you still don't know how those goals were scored or what. It could be all penalties. It could be. <laughs> and the other thing that you said there that I think is worth noting here is when you talk about like how stats are used, I think that's a really astute point in that I think Why thank you. The way managers use stats to actually inform what their team is doing is I think different than the way we write about stats and maybe the way like people in the media, pundits, fans, whatever, understand stats. That I think there is probably more of a like Certain stats are probably pretty guarded and are very much like, okay, you're doing it like we're using this to show how we want the team to play in a certain way. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily like, oh, we have this many shots and that's what we want. Yeah. And so – I think this thing like heart rate and stuff that yeah, they would exactly. have for someone's stats exactly. that they wouldn't share publicly because right. it's, it's a little bit like – personal information yeah right? yeah right and so that's where i think like that's the other reason why maybe stats don't get the credit that they're probably due is because i think managers almost like don't want to have to talk about that because it's like like you can it's codified you know for sure now like they're not doing this or they are performing this way but i think also they don't want to give away how they're utilizing stats because i think in a game where there's 11 players on the field playing 11 players on the field you want any advantage you can get yeah. and so i think Clubs, teams, managers are a little bit hesitant to give out too much information for fear of the other team having too much information. So to sum up, is it fair to say the answer to Sagar's question is that soccer stats or advanced soccer stats beyond mm-hmm. the scoreline and how many goals someone scored in a season are relatively new? Yes. So essentially people don't trust them as much because they're a new thing. Yes. I think so. Yeah? I think so. Yeah, because there's also the – yes – there's no, I don't need to go further depth. I was going to say, like, there's more stuff, but it's basically the gist is, like, they're new, and new things are always, like, like people are resistant to change and mm-hmm. new ideas, but then also in a field where statistics haven't always been, like, the primary thing, yeah. for them to start being more of a primary thing, I think that in of itself is a change, and then the way those statistics are being kept is changing, so it's a double change, and that makes it double scary. Here's a tougher question. Mm. Uh, do you expect it to change in the future? I don't know. 20 uh, years time, do you think like there'll be some stat that is just that is a like, gold standard that's kind of like Jerry Rice's receiving yards? Uh, yeah, probably. Would because, a winger have something equivalent? Uh, well, like I think about it like it's tough, right? This doesn't quite answer your question, but it's the best way I can explain then it. Why is, are you is, even going to say it? Because <laughs> it's how I can understand it. Is that like in our I think tracking distance covered is a thing that like 
scientifically happened in our lifetime. Like yeah. I think you could probably really – if you want to get out a ruler and do some scale conversions and then try to do that, you probably could have. Mm-hmm. But like that is, a, that is a number we did not used to have that now we have for like every Champions League game we and know. Now, and now we know that Bradley covered the most ground at the 2014 World Cup. Exactly. Yeah. We know these things and then people get mad about it and, yeah. and claim it's not true. But <laughs> like I think – so that's where I think it probably goes is that sort of data is probably less so like – this type of shot yields this type of goal or anything like that. Like, I think expected goals makes sense for the most part. Yeah. Like, it, it's a good it's idea. Not, it's not perfect, it but it's a really right. good idea that is mostly implemented really well. But you can also see the room for improvement. Right. And yeah. so I think, like, so where I go with the distance thing is, like, I wouldn't be surprised if we get more live in-game stats about, like, where the ball has been possessed and who has been on the ball the most – like, but in what position to indicate their attacking tendencies? Like, mm-hmm. I think it'll be more trying to help build a narrative for the game or to help people understand the narrative of the game. Less, more so than just, hey, he completed another pass. He's at 55 out of 60 now. Like, that, I doubt, seeing, I doubt will be as important. Here's my guess, is that clubs will embrace it a lot more. Yep. And you do see a lot of clubs mm-hmm. are now having a statistics department and they're hiring mm-hmm. analytics uh, people. You know I mean? That is definitely happening mm-hmm. in our lifetime. I think media will be a lot slower to pick it up one because uh established older media people are resistant to change Mm -hmm. right yep and two because a lot of broadcasters still essentially about dumbing it down and being Mm -hmm. like look at ronaldo he's famous as opposed to getting into anything um really deep and mathematical oh man i didn't think about that but you're absolutely right that if you are trying to make soccer appeal to the broadest audience you can again looking at an american audience if it's already low scoring, it's really boring, it's like watching paint dry, I don't like that guy in Atlanta who said that. Uh, but like, if you already have those criticisms and then you have a presenter come on to be like, let's talk about, I don't know, ball recovery rates between these two teams, it's going to be like, and next channel. Yeah. Like, it, it definitely is What's happening more... in NASCAR? Yeah, right. That's not <laughs> well, going to... The U.S. Cornhole Championship. <laughs> I mean, well, that's just good television. <laughs> yeah, I mean... You can't go wrong with the Ocho. I mean, you definitely can't just go to a bar in any place in any city in the country and watch that exact same thing happen. <laughs> Maybe not at the same level. It's basketball. Cornhole is basketball. Brilliant. <laughs> I feel like, by the way, someone's going to play that back like years from now when Cornhole has taken over the whole world and is the number one sport. I'm going to be in that montage of like, like soccer is never going to make it in this country. Like Cornhole will never make it in this country. That's who I am now, and I'm okay with that. You're that guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, but that is it because you protect soccer. You're yeah. not interested in something new coming in. Exactly. That is sort of how the media people are. You right? take your statistics and you yeah. keep them. It's kind of a moneyball thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So I think we answered Sagar's question. Mm-hmm. We answered many questions. It's been an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. So we should wrap it up by saying if you have questions for us, send them to TotalSockShow.com slash questions. Do if it. you subscribe to the show at TotalSockShow.com slash join. You should do that. Uh, if you subscribe at $10 a month or more, we will answer at least one question per month. Or we'll try our very best to answer one of your questions per month on the Total Soccer Show. As long as it's good. As long as it's good. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, honestly, if it's crazy, like uh, if it was like, what's the best way to get rid of Michael Bradley Mm -hmm. we just wouldn't answer that question right Mm -mm. because you're obviously coming from a biased perspective and it's got a mean element to it we've never actually had that question by the way and as we have established in the past if it's seven pages long and it ends in thoughts question mark not a question (laughs) not a question 
Best questions are one or two sentences. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Thank you to everybody who asked questions today. Really appreciate it. Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking a lot of time <laughs> to talk to me today. You're a very patient man. Hey, it's good to have you back in studio, buddy. It I missed you, back, so it's right? nice to have you back. So you know it's happening again next week. I'm going back to Boston yeah? <laughs> for another Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. The good news is this time it's for treatment, not yeah. just to be prodded and poked and everything that happened to me last week. I did think it was weird that you went up to Boston just to hang out with Quincy Ameriquois and have him poke you some more. That was weird. <laughs> I don't know why you did that. You could have yeah. just done that in D.C., but whatever. Dr. Quincy. Do what you want. <laughs> Dr. Quincy Medicine Man. Yeah. That should be his new show. <laughs> Uh, but next week, uh, we'll have Ryan Bailey with the Weekend Review. Mm-hmm. We'll have U.S. Men's National Team Preview because yep. the U.S. is playing Mexico next Friday. Oh, uh, there should be North London Derby to talk about mm-hmm. next week. We're expecting that to be fireworks, right? So, yeah, lots to talk about next week I look forward to on it. the Total Soccer Show. And I'm sure you'll definitely be part of it. I will be part of some of it. You'll be part of I'll it. I'll be part of it. But thank you again for taking the time to talk if to me. If not in voice, then in spirit. <laughs> I will invoice you. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, thank you for listening. And we will talk to you again soon. 